All right, boys. You got numbers? It's episode number 396666. Light them up. Or. Sleepy's having a hard time, yeah. All right, cheers. Mmm. Oh my God, that Cedar Ridge, that's that Iowa bourbon? Or I guess whiskey, right? Because, you know. Oh, <laughs> yeah, you it's, gotta be. it's so funny. It's only, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's only, uh, oh boy, that's, that's dangerous. Yeah, it's, uh, that they say it's only Malort if it comes from, uh, Chicago. Chicago. Otherwise, it's just gasoline. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, so, hey guys, so to my immediate left. Uh, just me, Steve Sleepy. And to his immediate left. Chris Smith. And to his immediate left. Nigel. Nigel's back. Yeah. And look, and this proves, unfortunately, this proves that it's not Chris Smith that's faking. Yes, it's. Has <laughs> that been a rumor? Well, we kind of said that you guys were never in the same room. That's together. true. This okay. is the first time you guys have ever been on a recording at the same time, I think. Yeah. Oh, no, not true. Oh, no, not true. No, not okay. True. We made that up. It's better for the story. Man, I don't remember that. Yeah. Hey, there's John Meckle yeah, I, I think you were passed out. Ah, okay. It was the God Save the Queen one. It was oh, the God yeah. Save the Queen. That's right. Oh, yeah. 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 It was the God Save the Queen episode. There he is. Mr. Michael Fresh. Hello and welcome to the podcast. So Hello. I did. I am official. It is 100%. I'm going to Santa Cruz to participate in the Misfits 500th podcast. Uh, I don't know what the gift is for the 500th anniversary, but I'll have to look it up yeah. to see what it's all about. But yeah, I'm pretty excited about that. I think it's a uh, uh, a helmet uh, painted with Michigan colors. Yeah. On it. <laughs> we have been looking for a place to dispose yeah, of. I think that's double, the way to go. A double, triple, extra I large. I think the 500th anniversary is resin. <laughs> <laughs> the 500th anniversary. Um, that's what they used on mummies. I don't. I'm gonna. I'm gonna talk a little bit about John Mecklefresh while he's getting ready. But Wait, the uh, can I see if your mic's working there, Johnny? Check one, two. Oh, it is. There you go. So we have a. We're a big parts unlimited dealer here. So we sell tons of parts unlimited stuff and they are pretty much the United States' largest distributor of motorcycle stuff. <laughs> so like if you've seen Honey Ic Brown. Yeah, Icon motorcycle products, that's a parts unlimited company. So that you know, Icon existed before Parts Unlimited, but Parts Unlimited bought them and that's kind of like one of Icon one of Parts Unlimited's house brands now. Well, we have I didn't know this, but we have the Z1R helmet company. They make a really, really nice modular helmet. I mean, it's a really decent modular helmet. And it has the built-in sunglasses, and it's got a lot of the features. Today, we found out that they will make that helmet in a 4X. I, I mean, wow. guys, I have never seen a 4X helmet before, but I think we have a candidate for one at the table. Shrek? <laughs> got a 10-gallon head. <laughs> it, is so, it is so hilarious that, uh, that yeah... So Renee was like, I think we just got to order one just to find out. And I was like, well, it'd be careful because if we order a 4X helmet, we got to have a 4X head to put in it. You know, that's that's a dangerous thing. I, mean, I just bought a helmet. But yeah, you did. You just bought a helmet, so you're fine. Well, yeah, you, but anyway. So, all right. So usually, I like... I heard a parts on the thing, though, too, that was uh, fuel line. Like, you yeah. want to get your fuel line through parts on the Oh, believe me. Because all the eBay sources and stuff like that. Yeah. It says it's Tygon. No. Yeah. yeah. You saw that in our shop, we have been using the same blue fuel line for 20 plus years. We've never went to an outside source whatsoever. And when you've been doing it for over 20 years, 
You've seen bikes come in that you put that fuel line on 20 years ago. And you do understand then that you're buying the right fuel line, you know, when it's 20 years old and it's still functional. Yeah. yeah and you're like, okay, that's pretty good. That but Eastside Bob who showed up on a CBX. Yes. Yeah. The CB excellent. Yeah. That is one of those things. That bike is, a, you know, it's a late CBX, you know, it's 81. He picked it up for $1,200 from Sun Hill Valley. Yeah. And it's. It was buried in the backyard. Oh, really? It had the full bearing and everything yeah. on it. It's got a YZF front forks on it, upside down. Mm -hmm. The swing arm's a CBR, yep. Yeah. 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 Get out of here so he can keep his center stand. That's nice. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, for holding the swing arm on. I was trying to get Phil to get another one because well, I found a guy that's interested in weird things to trade. Yeah, and that picture the guy sent, it's a late, you know, it's an 81 CBX. And uh, that picture of Eastside Bob's is, a, you know, it's a semi-radical custom. Like, it's it's got, definitely got some fucking work on it. Like, some people would be mad. He touched every part of that bike. Yes, he did. The motor, he said, was pretty much stock. I mean, he didn't open the motor up or anything because it, it ran perfectly. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well. When he took off down the road, it was he, he let her, gave her the beans. Yeah, let it, it rip. Beautiful. Really? Have that. What, what kind six of cadence? Six into one. Six into one. Oh, so yeah. you kind of can't hear the cadence. Yeah. And like that's. It's almost conspicuous in its absence, hmm. and a lot of people have said the bike sounds like a formula, like a F four Phantom or whatever. Or like yeah, I've heard a lot of yeah, I've heard a lot of yeah. that sort of stuff. Um, I've had a couple of them. It's not a good bike to own. <laughs> it's a it's a really fucking hard bike to own. Let's just call it what it is. Um, it has twenty four of the world's worst valves. <laughs> That's not great. So there's four per cylinder and there's six cylinders. Yeah. Right. Um, they're on the wrong side. So that's bad. Uh, the other thing is there are six carburetors. Oh, yeah. They're all vacuum. So they're all CV carbs. So that's also not great. Um, there's just a lot of things, a lot of individual elements about the bike that when you put them all together, you would expect that that motorcycle for being six cylinders and i've had it both ways so you can get the the pre-80 where it's just a motorcycle you know it, it's yeah. just uh the 1979 honda cbx uh it's just a motorcycle there's there's nothing about it that's weird or exotic yeah. it is a standard motorcycle and they only basically come two ways they came the american style and they came the european style and the american style had higher handlebars and so the one that I had, it was the European style, which is the lower handlebars and the more rear set pegs. Those are the only two ways that you could buy the bike. Uh, they pretty well came out in your choice of silver, black, or red. Honda Glory Red was the only color to have. Yeah. You know, it's, if you're going to have a CBX, the silver's not terrible, but the Glory Red is the business. I mean, it's just the shit. It is such a good looking bike. Now, here's where it gets 
fucking weird because you guys, it's a it's a one thousand cc motorcycle. It's actually I think a thousand forty seven. Yeah, one hundred four seven, and it's a really really good um, smooth. It's an exercise in smooth, but it's not an exercise in power. Oh. And that's the you know that's kind of the problem with it is uh, that's the that's the issue. Yeah, the problem is. For being this insane, exotic, crazy, crazy, exotic motorcycle, you'd think that it would be like 130 horsepower or right, 140 right, right. horsepower. 105, I think. Now, I think that was 105 with your finger on the dial. <laughs> I've, I've, ridden, I've ridden them good. I've ridden them bad. I've ridden them race-tuned even. And I've got to say, I never had the courage to put mine on the dyno. I would always rather just say, oh, yeah, it's 100 horsepower. And then just walk away. So do you think like the the fascination with the H ones, the H twos, the CBXs, and all that is more nostalgic? Because I know H ones ride like shit. I've ridden one of those, and it's yeah. horrible. Yeah, and and they it were is famous for that. anyway. In the day. Yeah, yeah, boy, ain't that the case? Uh, but that's what I'm saying. Like all these guys lament over like oh the days of these bikes, and I'm like, I think it's just nostalgic because they kind of suck. Like I mean, like. The way they ride. Well, I, mean? I was I was just, love those things. There was a there was a guy a lad at work and a friend just a year above me and he had that bike in yeah. red in nineteen seventy nine, I think it was. It was just, we were all like Oh yeah. We yeah. were tooling around on the most pathetic third hand beat. <laughs> so I had purchased mine from an engineer that worked at TRW. Yeah. And so when he bought the bike brand new at the Honda dealership as a two-year-old leftover bike with no miles on it. That gives you an idea. They weren't exactly flying off the sales floor. Yeah. What was their price tag? Back Extraordinarily then? expensive in the day compared to anything else you could buy. But here's the weird thing. When I went to go look at the bike, to go buy the bike, Keep in mind, in my garage at that moment, I had a 1974 Kawasaki H2 that was an H2R motor sitting in an H1 frame. Mm -hmm. So I had this very small, very light frame, but this H2R motor in it. Not too shabby of a bike. Pretty good. And I also had a BMW R69 in my garage at that time. I At that time, I had... The, I had my first SV650 in the garage at that time. I had a Honda Hawk in my garage at that time. I had no shortage of really cool bikes at that particular snapshot in time, 1990-ish. So I went to this guy's house to look at this bike, and it had 3,200 miles on it. And it had the factory exhaust, which is six into two. So three pipes on the left, three pipes on the right, going into one each mufflers. And he had the bike in the... Candy Glory Red. Fantastic. It couldn't be a better color. He said, though, that he wanted to make sure that I understood that I wasn't just buying the bike. He also had all the body work from when it was black because he'd gone into the dealership specifying that he wanted the Honda Glory Red. And the dealer had said all he had, the only bike he had to give him, was the black. So he took the black one and made the dealer sign a contract that said that when it was possible, the dealer would provide him with a full set of bodywork in Candy Glory Red. The guy was such a stickler 
The, the side panels on the Candy Glory red bike are satin black, and the side panels on the black bike are shiny black. Mm-hmm. And he made the dealer give him both sets of side panels. He also had a six into one hmm. header for quarter mile use only. It's printed on the side of the header, made by a company called Winning, go figure, a, a six into one header. And so he had all these parts in, this, in these boxes with Honda labeling on them, never been opened, whatever. And I went there and I was like, oh man, this, this guy's going to murder me because this thing was listed in the trade and times oh, I remember as, a, as a 1979 Honda CBX. That was the listing. And I had gone out there and the listing was for $3,000, okay? And so I'd gone out and he goes, so before you try to negotiate with me and anything else, I want you to know it's coming with all these extra sets of this uh, the full extra set of bodywork. It's coming with a six into one, one of a kind handmade racing header that you can't get anymore. And I said, and nor would you want it, but rock on. I said, okay. And he goes, so I won't take a penny less. I'm, I'm tired of you guys coming in here and lowballing me. Now I used to wait up until one o'clock in the morning on Tuesday nights to wait for the trade and times to get delivered to my local convenience store. Yeah. And I'd be sitting out there, drinking a beer or whatever, waiting for the guy to show up with a bundle of trading times and I'd run over and grab it and then I'd get my ass over to the payphone and start calling numbers on the payphone from the trading times that wasn't even in the hands of civilians yet because it was an hour after it got put out. Were you in the city's lockup or the county? Yeah. And that's how fucking ridiculous it was. I had called this guy's phone at probably one o'clock in the morning and said I was serious. I went there the very next day. Who was calling this guy? Like, why was he getting all of this phone traffic? He made it a point of saying he would take nothing less than 2500 I had already tried to give him the $3,000, but he wouldn't shut up. <laughs> I love guys that talk themselves out of money. I gave him the $2,500. I threw all the extra parts in the back of my pickup truck. I got my ramp down as fast as I possibly could. He's like, can I give you a hand? And I said, no. No, you can't give me a hand. And the bike, uh, away we go, right? Off we fuck. And I I had loved that motorcycle from the day that I got it. The problem is, remember when I told you how many miles were on it? There weren't enough. So from 1980 till about 1990 or so, that motorcycle had sat. And so within about the first... 200 miles that I had ridden the bike after getting it and, you know, changed the oil and whatever. All of my valves decided to change locations. <laughs> some got bigger, some got smaller. I don't know, but everything went to shit. And I think that it, that motorcycle may have been putting out in the range of 40 to 45 horsepower. Oof. Yeah. And making weird noises, not good noises, bad noises. And I had only done in my life probably... 70 valve adjustments on multi-cylindered motorcycles at that point. So I was like, what's the big deal? It's two more cylinders. It's a CB750 with two more motors or two more cylinders stuck to it. It's a dual overhead cam CB750. This is going to be easy. It's not easy. (laughs) It's a fucking bullshit motor. It's a pain in the dick. It has six 28 millimeter carburetors. You could do the job with one fuel injector. You, You could. There's all kinds of vehicles. There are Jaguars from the 60s and 70s that have a six into one intake. No problem. 
It's not even a weird thing. Motors, you know, motor vehicles have had straight sixes for a really long time. Some of the best in the world. BMW is very fond of that layout. Mercedes is very fond of that layout. Kawasaki had a 1300cc motorcycle that had ein fuel injector, right? Why do you got to have six fucking carburetors, man? Even their carburetor one only had three carburetors. Had three carburetors. Three two barrels. Three two barrels. Exactly. What the fuck, man? Here it is. Maximum power, 105. Maximum power to the rear tire, 85. Well, that's a very expensive price of a chain. That chain cost that bike 20 herspers. I don't... I think maybe it's just is real horsepower is 85. Here's what I can tell you about the Honda CBX. One, in stop and go traffic, it has a tendency to overheat pretty quickly. It does not take long for that air-cooled six to let you know that the middle four are not getting such good cooling air. And that was a problem with H2s as well. That inside cylinder had to be jetted extra sloppy so that you could keep that inside cylinder from melting down. The H2 had a voracious appetite for top ends. And Steve and I were talking about this earlier, about measuring two strokes in hours instead of miles on dirt bikes and everything else, competition vehicles. People don't realize when you rebuild a top end, how long it takes to break that top end in and how miserable you're going to be driving that motorcycle while that top end's breaking in for 500 or 1,000 or 1,500 miles. And then that feeling you're going to get the first time you're like, all right, it's been 500 miles. I've retorqued my head bolts. I'm going to go out and give it the beans today. And then you go, ah, and then all of a sudden, eh, and you're like, no, 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 no. And you back out of it because you're like, no, it's not ready yet. It's not. Or worst case scenario, you do seize the bitch up. Well, then you just put the money into a top end kit. I'm famous for this. I'm famous for building a motor and being too impatient to season it and break it in correctly. And then I go out and and just enjoying myself and be like, God, this thing really wheelies nice now. And then trust it and get it out on the freeway and then be like, I prefer just to ignore the factory specs on cylinder, piston to cylinder wall tolerance because they're laughable. Because some of them are like one and a half thousand. Yeah. Which is 0.75 on each 0.75 on both sides. One, yeah. Well, you need at least right. 1,000. So yeah. Side, well, you know. you, when we used to build old two stroke motors, Lambrettas, right? We think about piston ported old two stroke dirt bike motors. We'd bill them 5,000 over, mm-hmm. right? Even the manuals for the old Kawasaki's and the old Hondas and stuff, when you were doing a punching out a barrel to go over for an oversized piston, they'd say four or five thou over. And then now on the, the modern cylinder kits that I'm looking at, you're right, 1.5 thou over. If I That's a unicorn fart. You can't just drop the piston and have it slide through it. It's too tight. If you have to like, kind of help it. Or like, well, I mean, I mean, You're right. You're absolutely right. You can't just slide up and down inside that. I mean, there's no way it's going to No, because it's like the molecules of air are holding it back. It's a humid day. Oh, yeah. It's never going to get through there. Fuck, man. And that is crazy when you and read why do, why don't you? Why do you have piston rings? I know. That's what piston rings yeah. are for. Yeah. Right. Well, a lot of our race motors that we were building, we had wire rings. So it's like... 
you'd look at the ring and you'd be like, well, that's not a ring. That's a circlip. You're like, it's, it's, it's literally a wire. There's no edge to it. There's no squareosity to it. It's if cross-sectioned it, it's just a ring. It's literally a wire. Ah, it's terrifying. So to stitch together racing and Honda CBA. Yes. I do remember that uh, back in the day, so I guess it would have been 79 or 80 when they were first out. Mm-hmm, yeah, as 70. Part, as part of the promo, um, Honda UK gave the all the... Um, Alaman TT Marshalls CBXs for the race series. And these guys were going absolutely fucking banzai around the CT course, getting from marshalling station to marshall station and so on. And several didn't make it back. No, no, shit. no shit. Well, so that was going to be my second thing I was going to talk about the CBX because where anybody who's ever ridden an H2 will tell you that turning an H2 was not the strong point and stopping it was also challenging or ineffective at best. You'll see that this thing has two giant, big, beautiful cast iron rotors on the front of this bike that are solid. And basically, that's just a place where heat goes to die. And the brake calipers have these hockey pucks in them. It's one gigantic hockey puck on, you know, on each side. East side, Bob's bike had six pistons. Exactly. And that's what you need. Best, he's like, yeah. it's twitchy. He's like, I feel like I'm going to flip over I don't care. The brakes on my CBX were a suggestion on their best day. First real money I spent was getting stainless steel brake lines on because I was like, there's clearly, this is this motorcycle is 12 years old. It's clearly got the original brake fluid in it. And these rubber hoses from Honda were always real flexible, like real squishy to begin with. So I'm going to put stainless braided galfers on both, both ends. That didn't help it. I was marinating yeah. the uh, CB450 chopper yeah. in the coil today. <laughs> just everywhere. Just like, it can't hurt. Inside, outside, up the poop chute, you know, you know everything. And I was looking at the front brake setup and the worm clamps that yeah. were holding the brake. I'm like, oh, no. yeah. I'm like, you. I, you can't do that, man. <laughs> the good news was, though, there wasn't a drop of anything in the reservoir. So that's oh, kind of good. That yeah. is kind of a good news in a weird way. <laughs> so um, in 79, 79 was, you know, anybody will tell you when it comes to the CBX, it was the best year. But it handled like a bag of dog shit. I mean, it was not great. You didn't try to stop it in the wet. In the wet no. So they don't no. rain, rain in those discs. No, and it was, you know, the um, the front forks on these bikes, by their standards in, you know, 1912, 39 millimeters was considered to be like big front forks, and they were fucking garbage too. It was just ridiculous, and it did ride like it had a hinge in the middle. It was just trash. They couldn't sell them, so they could not sell the bike in that, and I, and I still think it's a beautiful motorcycle. I think it's lovely. It's a lovely motorcycle. And they couldn't sell them, so they decided what they were missing was luggage. And so they decided they would have to add some luggage to it. Well, it's not fast. It's not quick. So it's no. a touring bike. I love the way that they made the, the, that move so quickly from like, look, we have six cylinders, 1,000 cc's. And everyone was like, still not as fast as a KZ 1,000. And they'd say, yeah, but it has this. Still not as fast as a KZ-1000. And they'd say, but it has that. 
still not as fast as the KZ-1000. And what they could never do was beat the KZ-1000. They just couldn't. And by then, the KZ-1000 was already many years old. And it turns out that not enough people were simply willing to buy it based on the bombastic nature of it being a six-cylinder. And then when Kawasaki did their six-cylinder, which was in revenge to Honda apparently inventing the word sport touring for one motorcycle, which is kind of bonkers, because when Honda did build the Honda CBX for 1981 and 1982, when they did that, I think they accidentally created a fucking genre. And it was the answer to the question nobody had asked. They added 60 pounds of luggage to it and brackets and everything else. They went to a monolock rear suspension or mono shock rear suspension instead of two shocks. And they, they, for some reason, intentionally took five horsepower away from the bike. They literally detuned it. Now, again, we admit that it made 85 at the back tire from the advertised 105. I don't think anybody was really asking them to detune the CBX. I don't know. I think that rather than saying that they actually detuned it, I think maybe they got caught with their hand in the cookie jar lying about that 105 number. And so somebody somewhere was like, you put that bitch on a dyno or we're not going to let you come to come to the party. And they were like, well, we detuned it. <laughs> you know, we had to lose five HP. But this one has the, the Honda line hard cases and has the rifle fairing. It is, I have to be honest with you, I despised the way this motorcycle looked. I never liked it for a second. I thought it was just, I thought it was fucking hideous. You know, when they brought that sport touring, the super sport, you know, I mean, they were all super sports, but the sport touring in 1982, I never, there was no part of this motorcycle I liked. And I didn't feel so strongly about the CB1100 that was the same thing, but a four-cylinder. And it had the same rifle fairing, and it had the same Honda line quick disconnect luggage on the back. I wasn't as angry at it as I was this one. But man, I tell you, the 82... With this coming from a company that has the Goldwing already, I mean, like... Oh, yeah, and that's a really good point. I wish Steve was here to rant about that. Uh, He could tell you that in 1982, the Goldwing Interstate was, like, the best bike you could buy. Uh, Way super far ahead of its time. But, yeah, the CBX is a cruel, cruel mistress. Uh, so what is it? Where's the Kawasaki Concourse come into that conversation then? Doesn't because the <laughs> Kawasaki Concourse because that was a was, one thousand. I mean, it is a sport tour, yeah, but it's it's years after this eighty six right? eighty six yeah. yeah yeah. So bring up a KZ thirteen hundred because I know I like the KZ thirteen hundred. Is that you the know? six cylinder? Yeah. One? yeah, yeah, and yeah. it is one hundred and twenty horsepower. Mm-hmm. Probably mm-hmm. at least. Uh, one of the crazy things about the KZ 1600 is the street that I lived on. Yeah. Sorry. I just did 1600. Uh, the street that I lived on, uh, not 12 houses down from me after I got my CBX, this guy pulls up down the street with, I thought was the only color it was available in was a green KZ 1300. And, uh, I, I, I was fucking shocked. And, I, he pulls up and I said, 
get the fuck out of here. That's a you got a KZ thirteen hundred. He goes, yeah, I saw that you got the the CBX, and I said that's just that's super fucking cool. We should go ride together and stuff, and and be and he goes, no, dude, no, no, we're not gonna hang out. <laughs> I was like, okay, all right, that's. I mean, I I was young, I was needy, um, but the when you look at the KZ thirteen hundred, it's styling is by a uh, series of Lego blocks. It's There's no roundosity to the bike at all. I'm trying to find like Loaf. the... Yeah, loafs. It looks like the gas tank was chiseled out of wood. It's like a bomb on two wheels. <laughs> yes, it does. It really, really but does. It, it would look good as a racer, though. I mean, like that whole KZ series, mm-hmm. those square ones... Because when you put the number plates on, it just felt like it was part of the bike anyway. So it just kind of flowed in that mm-hmm. regard, you know? What's very funny is when you see them naked, right? So when you see the bike naked, you see the world's largest square headlight, because I think it might actually be the world's largest square headlight, uh, which is always a styling challenge, right? Uh, it's not something that anybody says, oh, that's a great idea. Uh, when you do the shootout, when you do the comparison to a CBX and a KZ, the KZ is a fucking ugly bike. I mean, it's, it's, it's extraordinarily, I mean, arguably, yeah. but it's liquid cooled. It is liquid cooled. It is shaft drive. Yes. You know, it's a <clears throat> much, much better motorcycle (laughs) it's better in every possible way the valves don't need to be adjusted every 19 minutes you know uh because it is fuel injected everything's actually kind of easy to get to because you don't have six goddamn have you ever taken four carburetors out of an air box add two it sounds like a good day out, doesn't it? There's not enough lubricant in the world. I'd kind of like to do that. Yeah, yeah. It's fucking awful. It's just my misconceptions, though, but I always conceived that those two manufacturers were the complete opposite of what you just said. Honda made things that didn't look very nice, but were super reliable and extremely well engineered. Kawasaki made things that were absolutely beautiful, but you might have problems with They were bonkers, right? Well, Kawasaki's okay. test course was a runway. Yeah. Straight line, right. straight line, yeah, right. Right. right? Yeah, Kawasaki's answer for everything was, but how does it do in the quarter? Like, you know, in Japan, <laughs> they didn't have a quarter of a mile. Everything was meters, right? Nobody had any idea. But when as soon as Japan learned where America was, they started pointing things in a straight line down the quarter mile, and you can tell that the KZ, the KZ nine hundred was a beautiful, a motherfucking beautiful quarter-mile bike. The H2 was a mother-beautiful quarter-mile bike. But very few of them could make the turn and get it back to the pits. Whereas Honda was always like jewel-like craftsmanship, right? And everything in a Honda was like, why is that valve cover bolt shaped that way? Oh, you have to look at what's next to it. Oh, that makes perfect sense now. Okay, great. Whereas Kawasaki was more like, okay, well, does that work? It works. That's great. Can we fucking make it lighter? Eh, we could probably make it lighter. Then we should make it lighter. Let's make it lighter. Let's just cut half of the styling off of it. Let's That's great. build it so in case somebody wants to put a car supercharger on the back, <laughs> of it, it'll still handle it. In fact, love it. They can. They fucking can. And <laughs> I've I've never owned a KZ1300. I have ridden three or four of them. I had a customer bring one to the shop one time. 
And unfortunately, the KZ-1300 he brought was the one in the picture with the full wind jammer, the Vetter wind jammer, and the side opening uh, guaranteed to leak rain rear cases. And the one that he brought in was a beautiful shade of air freshener green and uh, brought it into the shop. It was not running well, not running well at all. And uh, we, we took the thing in and we discovered that in one of the three coils, I did not realize there were three coils. There are three coils. One of the three coils was corrupt. And so it was only running on four cylinders. And so he said it just didn't have what it used to have. And I said, yeah, yeah okay, we tested everything out. We had two dead cylinders. We replaced that coil, had six living cylinders. We took it out and uh, it was extraordinarily docile until about 6,000 RPM. And at 6,000 RPM, all the ducks lined up in a row. And it was like, game on. Well, for people who don't work on motorcycles, when you have a motor that is extraordinarily shitty until it gets to 6,000 RPM and then it's game on, you have what in the industry is called a massive fucking air leak somewhere. Uh, because what's happening is where the mix is really important from your slow end of your carburetors to your middle end of your carburetors, um, things are wrong. Things are terrible, and the bike's not doing what it should. But once you get enough velocity. But when you get velocity, it is the equivalent of a small chimpanzee sitting on the hood of your car with a squirt bottle just feeding gas into the motherfucker. And you've got a little rope around the chimpanzee's neck, and you just pull his, pull the rope, and he just feeds more gas in. And most shitty fucked up motorcycles if you can get them to go over 6000 rpm will run really fucking good over 6000 rpm open up everything but if you right let, let it all let it all go through and you'll find that magical mystery italian maintenance happens at over 6000 rpm should you be willing to let those demons out of your vehicle and make sure you got good oil in it because john and i have been like find an old four-cylinder motorcycle and just realize like it doesn't want to do anything until you get to about 6k and then about 6k it wants to do everything just don't ever let it go below 6k or you'll be pushing the motherfucker uh but that's really great the we're not going to talk about the benelli because it's fucking weird yeah just fucking perverted but uh i do like cooler than both yeah yeah, there's a whole thing. You should listen. Uh, Emma on the Misfits did a history hole just about Benelli, and it, I can't do I can't do it justice. So re- listen to hers instead. It's much much better than mine would ever be. The uh, but back to the CBX. I was thinking about your statement about like what would it take to get me to own a CBX right now. Mm-hmm. It would have to be that I would have a fuel injection system standing by that we could install. I would have to have an installable fuel injection system because the moment that I finally got done rebuilding the sixth carburetor, from the moment that I finally got done adjusting the 24th valve, (laughs) right? And it's all shim and bucket, right? And I bought all the buckets, all the shims rather. So I, I bought 100 shims, right? And by the time I got done doing all of that shit. I know that the timer would be ticking until the moment it wasn't running great again. And the thing is, I can get more horsepower and better handling out of a $3,500 600 or a 650 
than I can out of this iconic piece of hardware, this thing. And this thing, the best part of this thing isn't riding it. It's not. Riding it is the weak link. <laughs> riding it is kind of the worst thing that you can do with this bike. You know, the, the, the wheels are too narrow. The brakes suck. Uh, it doesn't handle particularly well. It doesn't stop well. It doesn't take bumps very well at all. It's kind of a fucking shitty motorcycle. Unless you do what Bob did to his. In which case. Made all that right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, there's a, there's ages ago, there was a guy that featured that took a absolutely modern, probably back, that was probably like 2015, an absolutely modern ZX600RR motorcycle. And the perfectly good 600cc, 12, you know, 120 horsepower motor out of it and replaced it with a perfectly tuned, perfectly built three-cylinder, two-stroke H2 motor. And everything was worse. So, but he had that thing. He had that thing about having the world's best handling H2. And he really did because he had an off-the-shelf ZX6 there is something to that two-stroke yeah. thing. Like I told you, I, like, I think we talked about like at work a couple weeks ago, I had a yeah. chance to ride that KTM 300 SCX or whatever. Yeah. A yeah. fuel-injected two-stroke bike. It was fucking unbelievable. I mean, like it's like, you can't believe it's 300 cc's. It scared me more than any bike I own right now, including my Z900. I mean, I mean uh, that would be the two-stroke swap. Take like a Ninja 300. Yeah. yeah. That had blown yeah. up. Yeah, right. And then put some liquid-cooled two-stroke 250. Big hairy two-stroke single in there, yeah. It's so you so addicting, man. I was because this guy has a private track, so we were at the guy's track shooting for Summit, and my coworker has the 300 SCX, and so he knows. And after a while, he's like, "I, I'm filming, I'm filming, I'm filming." We got around the back. He was like, "Put the helmet on; they won't know it's you." And then I, <laughs> I just went out for a couple laughs, and uh, man, it was just that little brr and like just coming out of something without even trying you're just the front wheels just in the air like like no effort at all oh man the thing was yeah. so addicting and i mean that's that's the joy of two strokes yeah. i mean i yeah. i but then again just as you there's were saying, most bikes you have to try to make a wheelie right on those you have to try not not to make right yeah if you want to go fast it's really hard to keep the front down but as phil was saying yeah the whole time I'm riding, I'm looking at that hour meter, and it was at like 130. And I'm like, he resets it, and every 150, he replaces the top end. And I'm right. like, oh, yeah. 15 yeah, more I mean, hours. I don't know how much I believe in that. I, I guess, yeah. You know. Oh, I mean, he, he, they're melting down. I mean, those things, I think on the KTMs, the compression's pretty super high, and everything's real. I can, I can verify that on KTM machinery that that's about right. Mm-hmm. And But the difference is... If you're going to be using it for competition purposes, then you need that bike to be everything it can be. If yeah. tolerances are right, if tolerances are right, and it's yep. liquid cooled, and the temperature doesn't get too hot, and it's fueled properly, and I mean, like, there's no reason why you should go through top end. Like, well, I think he rides at Wellsville a lot, so that's just all the doing the climbing. I mean, I guess, rah, yeah. Rah, yeah. I guess if yeah. you don't have a rev limiter it's, at some point, so yeah. if you're over revving the shit out of it. Yeah, and I mean, I've rebuilt my share of DRZ 400s for the exact same reason. And that is, you know, people buy the bikes and think that, oh, look, this is a great bike. It says, you know, it's got the letters SM on it. So it's a sadomasochist <laughs> and you can take it on the freeway. And I've had customers come in here and they're like, yeah, I don't know why, but the bike won't go over 60. Like, There's a whole group of yeah. riders who like those two strokes, not because of that peaky top. Yeah. 
No. But because they actually do have a good bottom. They got the grunt. They got well, the they're tractors. Yeah, you they have that. They don't pop. They don't flame out like a force. No, no, it just it just tractors up stuff. But when you get on that, too, oh man, it was yeah. like it was like it was like a morphine shot, but like the opposite, <laughs> adrenaline shots or something. Like you're like, give me more of that. Yeah, it's uh. it's true. And a big, you know, a big, well, big 300, 400 cc two stroke. Yeah, there's there's some fucking magic there, man. Absolutely, always well, has you know what, been. You know, riding right. that thing though. I, I thought back, like just that, when I was leaving that day, I had some time to think, and I'm like, man, MotoGP. Yeah. 500cc yeah. race bikes of that. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, like just fucking crazy. Panaro power. Yeah, yeah. And when you think about <coughs> the technology of the day being, okay, well, how scientifically these teams, six or seven different teams, that said, all right, we're going to do one 250cc piston. Mm. The other guys are going to like, no, we're going to do two 125 pistons. And some guys were like, I think we're going to do like three 75cc pistons. Mm -hmm. And one guy said, we're going to do six. (laughs) And we're going to make these motorcycles that are all going to be on the racetrack at the same time together because the rules allowed for it. I missed that, man. Even like in the, um, uh, what was the shit? What was the stuff at mid Ohio back in the day called uh, AMA Superbikes. Yeah. Superbike. Yeah. But remember yeah. like for a while there, it'd be like, you'd hear Whoa. <laughs> because they had all the different forms of motors running in the yeah. classes. V twins. I remember and- going to watch the, uh, the transatlantic series when they have the, American riders would come across oh, yeah, the race yeah, yeah. against the British riders and whatever. And um, they used to come to our local track, which is Alton Park, and walking up to the to the, to the track, there was like a haze of two <laughs> yeah. this, this smell of castrol R on your nostrils. Which all Bean oil. Oh, <laughs> Love that shit. Blends it is so fucking cool. I used to, uh, I used to race RC cars, big eight-scale on-road cars professionally. It was like a thing. It's ridiculous, but I did. But that's the thing I miss the most is 7 a.m., getting to the track, and everybody would be doing, vroom, vroom, vroom. you just smell that fucking nitromethane oh, and castor oil, and like, oh, so we, good. That, um, Oscar and I were at, you know, we, we were, there's several museums on the Isle of Man. There's no shortage of places to go look at motorcycles. Fucking no shortage whatsoever. And you can go to, like, the Dunlop Museum. You can go to all these different museums because it turns out that, a lot of things go to the Isle of Man, but not as many things leave the Isle of Man. Right. Let's go fucking figure, right? So there's several amazing museums because, as you might have heard, it rains quite a bit there. And so there's there's no shortage of shit that you want to go do when it's raining. Mm-hmm. Now, Oscar and I, when we went in 2019, we went on what I'm going to say personally, according to the Phil Water Spectrum, was the rainiest Isle of Man ever. A lot of the people live there agreed. They, you know, they, yeah, it, was, it was the least number of laps that transpired. Which for the interracial homosexual couple that Oscar and I are, turned out to be a great time to go thrifting. And uh, we go, went and enjoyed all the museums and all the shit that we did. But to be able to walk into a museum that is so fucking narrow, snakes can't fuck in the hallways. Because it's just <laughs> overfilled with racing bikes. 
And you will stand there and you'll realize that the curators of this museum, which is basically a guy's garage, and you'll realize that you're standing there in everything that would have been on the track in 1964. And then you walk a little further down and you're on everything that would have been on the track on 16 and 69. But you realize the diversity of what there are. I brought this picture up because it's fucking bonkers. Do you see how many parts are in the motor of this 250 cc six cylinder motor? That's an RC166. This is an RC166, right? So this RC-166, the fucking valves are microscopic. I mean, they're just ridiculous. That's what Alan Milliard built that from the ground up, like a, a replica of it. Yeah, I mean, Alan Milliard insane. Can built anything I know, but that's wants. fucking crazy. Look at that motor. But in the same pits competing with this motorcycle is a bike that has no valves. Right. Right? Yeah. It has ein piston. Right. Three rings on its best day when it's running correctly. Yeah. And it has, you know, well, that year may or may not have had a reed valve right. regulating how much gas and air was coming into the motor. Maybe, maybe not. Right. right. So the difference in technology, what the Japanese were bringing to the table versus what the homespun guys were running and all under the banner of 250 CC GP racing. Holy fuck. That motor spins up to 20,000. 20, yeah, yeah, yeah. It makes some ridiculous horsepower. 65 horsepowers. Yeah. So it's 65 horsepowers, not much in the torque department, right? It's fucking crazy. I mean, it really is insane. They there, had to use points because yeah. there was no electronic yeah. ignition that could, that could throw that many dots. Thing. Yeah. There's, um, if you go on YouTube, which obviously we're not going to, but I mean, if, if those at home want to, Alan Milliard has a thing with Goodwood or Good Goodwood is it like yeah. the festival speed yeah. where the, he brought that and they rev it and they're riding it and it's fucking insane. Mm -hmm. It sounds it's so minuscule. It's like <laughs> you know what I mean. Like it's a real high pitched little weaselly sound. It's cool. I I'm going to tell you that when you get that experience and you're there and you actually kind of put your hands on stuff and you, and you do get to to understand what people were throwing their leg over at the time, it's crazy. It's just a crazy thing because everybody's concept of what would make a motorcycle go around the track faster was being approached. And you remember teams had invested everything in being like one cylinder is the way to do it. It's the right answer. It's one. And then other people are like, no, you got to have the thump of the twin. You got to have you got to have the torque of the twin. You need that. And then there was the whole, you know, like where are the twins going to fire on the thing? Is it going to be a double on the top? Is it's, it going to go individual? Like, it really is fucking bonkers. Yeah. And I really dig that that era because now today we know that whatever Ducati's putting on the track today right now is is going to be amazing, right. you know. And whatever Aprilia is putting out is going to be just slightly less amazing right you know and to your point right there you know like when you think back and you look back at some of the pictures of the 70s 60s and stuff like that like right now the only difference between the bikes are slight shape in the tail mm -hmm. of a fucking wing here yeah. or there but they yeah. all have carbon fiber but everything's the same yeah you go back then and like one team has their calipers in front of the forks one team has the calipers behind the forks one team's got one forward and one backwards and like 
all these different experiments and shit. It was kind of cool to see that. Like, you Bring know, up like, an AJS porcupine. Yeah, the porcupines. <laughs> the porcupine's a great motor for that, uh, for showing you how, <laughs> for showing you what was happening at the same time in different tents. I mean, that's a great motor. That is a great motorcycle for showing people how radically different the black one in the center is perfect. The 54. Yeah, that is gorgeous. I mean, but 290 gallon tank. <laughs> this is what BMW is like. Oh, and well, yeah, low center of gravity. Put your keep your fuel as low as you can put it. But there's also the AJ 1939 AJS V4. Right. Yeah. Yeah, the V4. Uh, when God, when you think about the different ideas, and also remember, people were doing crazy things with aerodynamics that weren't really proven out, and so people are like, well, well, this will make it faster in the straights. Yeah, but you can't fucking turn it. Mm. So, all right, so that's going to be the thing. Or it's going to make it faster in the straights, but what if you get a little dirty wind? Well, then everything goes to shit instantly. Mm. So it's a very weird thing, and I, I really do I really do love that. Uh, that sort of let's everybody all these different teams throwing different concepts at the world and saying this is going to work this isn't going to work fucking moto guzzi had a 500 500 cc v8 yeah. are you fucking crazy that's an that's a little tiny ridiculous like one eighth scale replica of an airplane motor that mm-hmm. they had built of a curtis right that was in 1920 yeah. they had a v8 motorcycle yeah i mean when we think about yeah, right. just how bonker shit was that it made no fucking sense but you know what it's kind of like that with the electric market right now yes it, like oh some God, guys are doing yeah. hubs some yeah. guys are doing motors some guys got chains some guys got belts like it's all this crazy shit that's, going on that's the one in that museum i think that is so. so yeah um renee and i a few years ago we went to the museum uh thank god for selling a whole lot of vespas we got our tickets paid for right and uh, the good news was, while we were there, um, this was, I think, the top 25 Vespa dealers in America, maybe. So we went there, and we got some great training, and we got some great experience, and we got some great exposure, but we got to go to all the fucking museums. We got to the Vespa Museum, got to go to the Moto Guzzi Museum. And the Moto Guzzi Museum's got a lot of weird rules, like you have to be at the gate at 4 p.m., not 4.01. They're only going to let you in for a certain period of time and whatever. But the long and short of it is, uh, while we were there, they had decided that it would be a very good opportunity to fire up a V8. So I got to stand next to a V8. Now, it wasn't going down the road. It was, you know, I, the joke was it, it was on the paddock stand at full chat. So, but it was, and it was fucking, God, it sounded great. It sounded epic, and it sounded dangerous. And it really did sound fucking dangerous. And what's weird is that idea that everybody's going to throw everybody's going to throw everything at it because it's racing and racing is like war. Like you just throw shit at it. Like people, they're like, that seems like a really, really bad idea. One guy says he thinks it's a good idea. And as long as that one guy has got big enough wallet, they're going to try it. And war and racing are very similar in that regard. Uh, People did some weird shit in the name of war and people have done some weird shit in the name of racing. This particular motorcycle, this is a really good example of 1955 technology. Jesus Christ, how many fucking, how many engineers got to sit around a table? 
How many bottles of Chianti were sacrificed coming up with a V8 motor in 1955 that, that one maniac would ride around the fucking racetrack? And would I, yeah, that is also iconic. The other thing that's crazy is when every other racing motorcycle that was 500 cc's in the day had 60 horsepower, this had 80. And that's a massive difference to go from 60 horsepower to 80 horsepower. Of course, the guy riding it need lost up to 20 horsepower just because his balls were so big. <laughs> and for the life of me, I cannot understand. They said it was horribly unreliable. Forget about reliability. It, it sucked in the way of reliability. But you would just you could just fuck anybody you wanted to. Um, when you go to Mandela Delorio and you're in the town square in the middle of the town where there's a little circle, a little rotary in the middle of town, up on an elevated platform, they have a stainless steel wire model of this motorcycle you can sit on and take pictures of this particular V8-powered motorcycle. And it's done somewhat as a cross-section. So if, if you're anybody like me, I love cross-sections. I'll buy a cross-section of anything. <laughs> and it's a cross-section uh, in the town square of the V8 from um, Moto Guzzi. It's really crazy shit. Gotta love it. I love the way when I was trying to get one of the um, ones on the website, and the website was just in Italian. Oh, thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> so then I had to get my, my colleague to, uh, to to interpret it for me or so. He's, uh, he's only open uh, in the week, or not on the weekend. Okay. No, it's only open on it's, Wednesday. It's only from uh, 3 o'clock till 4 or half or 4. Okay, yeah, we, we went on a we got there on a Friday actually. We went, but yeah, uh, we had we had showed up. We we knew we didn't want to miss it, right? So we booked an Airbnb that was a short hike over a hill, right? Like so we could walk there. Fuck the Fiat Panda, we're walking. And so we left the Fiat Panda in the driveway, and we walked over the hill, and we were the guy's house we were staying at was an employee of Aprilia, Motoguzzi, et cetera, in the day. And so he was like, oh, of course you're going, you know, he's going to the museum. That's great. We don't get too many American tourists that come to Mandela Delorio to go to the Motoguzzi Museum. And I was like, oh, it's the high point of our trip. And he's like, you're fucking retarded. (laughs) So he felt so bad for us. But he was like, he's like, not joking. Don't get there late. And I was like, no, we're buying coffee and food and we're going to camp out outside the big red door. And uh, he goes, good idea. And so at like literally like 4 p.m. on the money, the door opened up and like a, a short little Italian guy poked his 86-year-old head out and looked around and there was me, Renee, Merritt, and Annie, our friend from Pittsburgh. So that's me and my, my stepsisters, right? Or me and my sister wives. And then like four German guys that were dressed Top to top, top to bottom in Heingerica, right? <laughs> and a little, not little, a, a smaller statured Italian fella who was their translator. Badass. That's pretty cool. And so this little tiny Italian fella inside the door opens it up like Willy Wonka's fucking chocolate factory. He looks out the door. He sees that we're there. He begrudgingly shakes his head like, oh shit, I have to work today, right? <laughs> he opens up the door, the big red Motoguzzi door. He opens it up. He ushers you in like he's sneaking you into a fucking, you know, checkpoint. He sneaks you in and you see to your immediate left a gift shop. And you're like, 
that's pertinent to my interests. I have, I have reasons to be in the gift shop. And there's even a lady in there who looks like she might be opening. I need to be in that right now. And he says to us in Italian, ah, and I'm like, I didn't get any of that. And so I hear the, the fella translating into German. And I speak some German. And so I said, oh, he's telling us that you right now have a decision to make. You're either going to go into the gift shop or you're going to take the tour. They don't both happen. And I went, what? He said, take the tour, and then if you have any time left, you can go in the gift shop. And I went, that's oddly strange in German, but okay. And so, okay. And so I told the girls that, and we continued our tour. And so we go through the tour, and we realize that the one Italian fellow who's probably paid by Moda Guzzi to give these tours, I hope, he probably was a custodian there for the last 70 years, and he knows a really good a bit about the company. But the guy who's telling the Germans everything is telling the Germans a lot of things that this guy isn't saying. So I'm double translating. I'm listening to it being said by the official tour guide. Okay, I don't know what any of that is, but I hear the guy speaking German to the Germans, and it's clearly a lot more words than the first guy saying. So I'm translating that German for these guys. And I was like, oh. And then I realized that this guy was the president of the Modaguzzi Club of Italy for like 50 years or whatever. His name is Prezzi. And he keeps Modaguzzi motorcycles scattered all over the world so he can go ride where he wants to. What? Get the... And I was like, I'm hiring you to be our guide right now on the spot. He goes, oh, I can do that. And so he does. And so he's going through and I'm just sub-translating in English. He's great. It's awesome. And then Pretzi is now telling the little Italian fellow, we can skip a lot of stuff because we want to get the good shit. We want to get to the cool stuff. And so he does. And we go to see the racetrack and we get to see all the, the, the foundry where they actually smelted their own steel and let the steel run through the road. So they actually had an open trough cut in the road where they would smelt their own steel and aluminum and it would run across the roadway to go into the factory. So they had to stop the traffic so that the steel, molten steel and aluminum could run across the road to go in. They built the factory on the leeward side of a mountain because the Motoguzzi boys that created the company were both World War I fighter-bomber pilots. And they knew by building the factory where they built it, it would make it almost impossible to bomb. And it did. It didn't get bombed in World War II. It survived. Fucking cool. The eagle on the emblem is because of the World War I Italian Air Force. Well before Harley-Davidson decided to put eagles on their shit. Super fun tour. Best tour ever. I gotta say, five fucking stars. And at the end of it all, we were like, or three stars, yeah. At the end of it all, we're like, and now, as Dolly Parton showed us from Dollywood, you exit through the gift shop. And we went down to the gift shop and it was closed. Ah. And the fucking little Italian guy was pissed at us because it was after 5 p.m. The tour had run longer than one hour. And he was angry that the tour ran longer than one hour. And I heard Pretzi, like, arguing with the guy and telling him, he was like, yeah, well, you know, it's special. These, these guys, that guy's a dealer. He's a fucking Moto Guzzi dealer in America. He's the number one Moto Guzzi dealer in America. We got to give him a good tour. And the little guy didn't want give one fuck about that. <laughs> So I grabbed some euros and I gave it to the little Italian guy and he was like, oh, then he was okay and he was fine. 
<laughs> so then Pretzi took us out into the Mandela Delorio town square and stuff. And we, and he goes, oh, you guys want to see where Motoguzzi's were invented? Yes. Pretzi, you could do anything you want to me right now. I'm yours. And he took us to the actual workshop where Motoguzzi's were prototyped and invented. A part of the tour that nobody gets. So again, if you happen to be in Mandela Delorio, it turns out... Didn't they have a lot of cross-sections there? Oh, they had all the cross-sections. I should publish our photos from that trip because they had all the cross-sections. They had all the mechanical working engine models from all the different various models. Cutaways in a basement. In a fucking basement that was like a wine cellar. That was where the guy did his work. I dropped... I dropped the hammer on the actual fucking anvil that Prototype built all the Motoguzzi's back in 1921. The visit to the Motoguzzi Museum was one of the motorcycle highlights of my life, and I really enjoyed it. Fucking amazing. Listen to your story. Yeah. I didn't do a tenth of it. I was absolutely <laughs> shocked by what you just said. We went up to the apartments. We had, we had no tour guide at all. We didn't know what the hell was going on. My mate, who's Italian, who isn't into motorcycles, yeah. just happens to be my colleague, and he's Italian, and he drove me there. <laughs> and we had to show ourselves around. We would, there was no you didn't guide. have any was, guide at all? No, there was no nothing. We didn't get to see any of the stuff out the back. We just got to walk around, see they a load of bikes. Did they fire up the V8 for you? Funnily enough, no, they didn't. No. Oh. Actually, firing up the V8, i got to be honest, the firing up of the V8 didn't happen at the Guzzi Museum. The firing up of the V8 happened at the Vespa Museum. Which the the Guzzi Museum, you've been there, is like going into an abandoned warehouse. It's not a museum in the sense of a museum. The bikes are lined up. There's a little board by every bike that's in Italian that kind of gives you some information. They have a Santaro. They have the military bike and everything there displayed like it's climbing the wall. It's fun. Bring any women with you? He brought women. (laughs) (laughs) I just brought Giuseppe. (laughs) Giuseppe. But the Piaggio Museum is better i mean the vespa museum is amazing it's better but they had the v8 at uh they had the v8 at the vespa museum that's where they mm-hmm. fired it up because that was the big gaggle of american dealers the all yeah. about the i did i did get to experience the uh, gift shop being closed experience, <laughs> yeah. and the only the only other thing i did i we went into town and we made out because did you I, go to agostina yeah i was just yeah, saying agostina. We, we expressed our disgust at the the gift shop being shut and somebody jabbered to giuseppe that we'd take him to agostina to keep him happy so we went down there yeah that's exactly it the best gift shop for moto guzzi is not at moto guzzi <laughs> It's a company called Agostini Garage. Agostini Garage, of course, is where they make exhaust systems and everything else for various Italian motorcycles. But Stefano at Agostini, um, we let him know ahead of time that we were going to be there. And we were, at the time, we were selling a metric fuck ton of Agostini stuff. So we'd gone there. And so we'd kind of, and at this point, we had adopted Prezi, like whether or not he wanted to, we had adopted him. So he was going with us. And I was like, I was like, well, we're going to go to Agostini I've heard it's, you know, it's, it's pretty close. And Pretzi's like, yeah, it's that building right there. I was like, no shit. I had no idea how close they were, but that's why they're so close is you could just walk the prototype over from Motoguzzi over to Agostini. It was fucking cool. But yeah, the gift shop was fucking closed. Yeah. We saw her in there. She was pretending to open, but because our tour ran like 10 minutes long, she'd said, fuck it. I'm going home. So she gets paid to be there one hour a day. They had a giant board meeting. They're like, so the gift shop's not making any money. Is there anything that we can do? 
Two people are like, well, we need to stay open longer. Guys, like, no, that's not an option. We can't. That's, Steve, don't even bring that up anymore. Yeah. Steve, I'm a degenerate. <laughs> I mean, I am a degenerate buyer of shit. Right? right? I will buy anything if they would have let me into that Moto Guzzi gift shop. Yeah, you'd have spent loot. Would have doubled their annual sales. They would have. They would have been open for two hours next week. I would have been. I was looking through the glass at shit that I was like. Fucking like race team shirts and stuff from yeah. the day, and I'm like, oh, I gotta have that. I gotta have that. I gotta have that. I would have been right behind you in that line. Yeah. Fuck yeah, Definitely. man! I would have been buying all kinds of garbage, like stuff I don't need. Times ten. Oh, what a fucking waste! I had my nose pressed to windows as you walked down that driveway, going back to the red gate. There was yes. a, I was peering in one place, and it was like a like a drawing board. Yep. Says, some, some design office yep. all abandoned. I don't know what was going oh. on. Oh, but you can't sell it out of the gift shop. Eventually, it's got to make its way back into the museum. Oh my God, man! It stays on the shelf in the gift <laughs> shop till it's twenty some years old, and then it goes. <laughs> that tunnel you're talking about. So when they open the red doors, you're walking down this this place where the the wagons and stuff used to drive in, and uh, it's really uh, it's really weird because when you open when they open the red door for you to go in, uh, it's not what you'd think. It's not the Willy Wonka chocolate fact chocolate factory. You've got to walk down a tunnel, basically. And uh, it's such a weird experience because what he's saying is right. They, they put these perspex or, or plexiglass walls up in the area that used to be shipping, receiving, who the fuck knows. But they just kind of have said, well, this is just where we're putting stuff from now on. This is it. When we were there, they had every Moto Guzzi marketing poster for Ewan McGregor sitting on various different Moto Guzzi bikes. And those images hadn't been released to the public yet. They were just kind of being evaluated. And it was so, I'm going to, I just got to bring up the picture because it's very hard to tell people what the Moto Guzzi factory tour is like without showing you. There is a mountain behind this. Uh, That's just the nicest way to put it. There is no, it isn't like this is on some pastoral setting um, there's a fucking mountain right behind this yellow building. And right here, yes, right over here to the right, uh, make sure we get the, the right image up. So I want to make sure the podcast viewers at home can see this. So if you look to the hard right of that fella on the motorcycle, um, over here on the right is a car park for a train stop or a bus stop that's over there. And that's where the staff or employees would park before they go inside back when it was a functioning factory. So there's a, this picture is dated. There's a picture of a Brava or a, not even a Grizzo on the wall there. But this big open, this big uh, opening is the home of a very red door. Red. It's the famous red door, right? The famous red gate. I think just behind the car park is the uh, the railway line. Yes, there is. Yep, there is, and that's how they. And this was one of the biggest factories in the region at the day. So it has a railroad stop, and it has many things supporting it. The town of Mandela Delario, many of the restaurants have Motoguzzi's in the front window. They're very much aware of you know the pride of their stuff, right? Or Stella Delario. Stella Delario. <laughs> when it's when you say it's a museum, it is very much just a hallway with motorcycles in it, right? It is just a hallway with motorcycles. And it's not amazing. It's really not. There's all kinds of crazy prototypes, and there are a fucking ton of prototypes. There's a Moto Guzzi prototype that's two Lambretta motors welded together. It's 
kooky shit. Because I was told that the Italians in that era weren't fighting each other for exclusivity and secrets. They were just helping each other. Like, let's just, we got to compete with the Japanese somehow, right? And so it was not uncommon to see... Like a war effort. It, yeah, like a war effort. That's exactly right. And so there's the, the big V8. And, uh, but it is a very, very funny thing when you go there and you realize they had a test track inside the facility. They had a racetrack inside the facility because that was where they would literally go out and make sure the bike was built correctly. And they had built up on the, the hillside next to it, up on the mountainside, they built a campus of apartments up there. And those campus of apartments were so that visiting dignitaries or that visiting mechanics or engineers and stuff would have a place to stay and Merritt and I climbed, it's something like 400 or 500 stairs to get from where they're, you know, cleverly ensconced with a, a billion dollar view of Lake Como to get down to the factory and then to be able to climb those stairs at night and have, you know, uh, your meals prepared for you and have orchestra music and everything all there at the Moto Guzzi factory. So putting on a big show was a big deal for these guys at the time. So it was after World War II, especially they had some making up to do. They had some catching up to do. So it was kind of cool. Being a bit of a bit of a sicko for anything on two wheels, I, the, that my, my trip over there was even better because the second day, I also got to go on the other side of Lake Coe. Mm, to the Ducati. No, no, no. The on the other side of the lake, there is a there's a famous climb which comes in the um, in the uh, Tour of Lombardy, and it's used a lot in, in the cycle racing. Oh, thing. okay. And on the top of there, it's the Madonna del Gazzaglio, and it's the um, there's a little chapel there at the top of the climb, and it's dedicated to the patron saint of cycle racing. Really? And it's you go in this little chapel, and it's got loads of bikes, like historic bikes, like this is the bike that Eddie Merckx won the tour on, you know, yeah. things like this is Fausto Coppi's bike. <gasps> and right next to it, because there were so many bikes, they built this museum. It's a fantastic cycle. So I got to do my motorcycle fill one day and then the next day I did my cycling wow. fill. It was really, really, really cool. They had the polka dot jersey in there all over the place. No. They were all, it was all I'll bring some photos yeah. and share with you. Yeah. yeah. This um if you happen to be <clears throat> in that part of Italy, the northern part of Italy, so there's two things that you absolutely have to do. One is the Ducati Museum, of course. And yeah. And if you uh if you are, <laughs> wasted your whole trip, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, it's far fuck away. Okay, so <laughs> so the Ducati Museum is about three hours away, right? Oh, so three, okay. three. It's like all of Italy, right? But here's the trick. So this is northern Italy. This is all happening north of Florence. What part of right? the boot? The top. Okay. The stirrups. The top of the boot. So um, if you're in Italy, and should you happen to be in Italy, or should you care? If you're going to try to do the top of Italy, I mean, obviously there's some stuff, you know, Cinque, uh, Cinque Terre and everything. There's a lot of cool, fun Northern Italy stuff to do. Florence is epic in and of itself. It's just fucking great. I got to see an industrial estate on the outskirts of Florence, and that was it. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! <laughs> so um, the. The Piaggio Museum, the, the Piaggio Vespa Museum, is over here by, you know, by Pisa. You know? So there's, there's things in Pisa that you might want to go look at, I, I, mean, I guess. Right? But the, uh, the funny thing is when you're there, um, 
so that's the museum. That's that's Fumicino down there, right? And so the factory for Vespa is right there in the middle of all that. But here's the weird thing: is I mean, way too close to the Motoguzzi Museum is this Tessera, this Vittorio Tessera Museum, and the Vittorio Tessera Museum is in a like you said, an industrial park, right? And what it is housing is the world's largest collection of motor scooters. But it goes way beyond that. Uh, It's insane. And it has more prototypes than I have ever seen in one building. I've just just never seen so many one-of-a-kind, one-of-one motorcycles. And this fella here, this, you know, this really handsome dude, uh, he has been building this museum forever. And when all of the Lambretta assets from the Lambretta factory got liquidated, um, he's the guy that they decided would be the caretaker Hmm. of everything. So it is a, just a bonkers museum trip. I don't even know if they keep legitimate open hours, but when we went, there's a crazy blizzard that rolled in in like late February, early March. And so most of the town was shut down. Everything was closed up and we'd gotten in touch with them. And I said, look, man, we are, we're fucking degenerate Lambretta collectors over here. We have a major problem. We need to be in your museum tomorrow. And he's like, no, it's a blizzard and we're not opening shit. Forget it. And so we, we, he was like, well, if you show up, I might be there. Well, we were there. And so the man himself gave us the tour and he gave us a personalized private, about a three hour tour. And we got to see the racing motorcycles. We got to see all the bikes, everything. And they have a workshop there where they do, they do Lambretta restorations on site. Using Lambretta parts that they manufacture. What do our numbers look like? Using amazing stuff. What's that? Where are we at? Timing? How much time we got? One hour and 13 minutes. One hour and 13 minutes. Just take a little breath of fresh air. (laughs) He is bouncing off the microphone. But if you're in Italy and you want to do that, and if you're going to go to, um, you want to see a solid gold Lambretta, you can go see a solid gold Lambretta. Um, There's everything. Like, Wait a minute. What? Solid gold Lambretta. Well, it's not solid. It's plated. Okay. okay. Well, right. that's, that's yeah. When I, when I was gold. working over there, I used to, yeah. uh, my, my colleague lives in a little place called Varese, which is up near Como. It's actually a very beautiful little city. It's called the Green City. It's really verdant. And because uh, he knew I was into motorbikes, the first place we went to was Holly Davidson of Varese. <laughs> no <laughs> way. <laughs> <laughs> so what, 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 do, uh, what do English... Harley riders, are they trying to also cosplay like the Americans, or is it? <laughs> trying to what, sorry. Like so, the English Harley Davidson owner riders, yeah. right? Right. That's do a they, good question. Do they also cosplay like meaning? Um, do they dress up like pirates, pirates as well to ride their motorcycles over there? Mm, they, they try to look like American yeah. bikes. I think that's the, yeah. Then that's the, yeah, yeah. So they're doing yeah, the whole do, like you yeah, know yeah. There's lots of. Um, like leather leather vests and denim vests. And what's, but England has, you guys have a, a helmet law, right? Yeah. Uh, 100%. So like, yeah. what are, do they wear little half helmets or do they have a bigger law? No, well, that wouldn't be, the, it has to be a, it has to be a helmet with an ACU, yeah. motorcycle union sticker on it. 
Okay. Like we have to have a, a Snell Snell. No, yeah. DOT. Yeah. DOT, yeah. yeah. ECE. So yeah. you wouldn't get one of those. The ACE would never approve a half shell helmet. It has to be a full. Three okay. quarter. Yeah. yeah. Three quarter. So there are, wow. But there are a lot, yeah, to answer your question specifically, they, a lot of them wear open face helmets. A lot more. Yeah. Gen- generally, most people wear full face helmets or flip fronts, but there's a much bigger percentage of them wear. <laughs> yeah, because they need that danger. You got to make sure you can scrape your face off if you fall. Yeah, it is funny when you meet Harley Davidson enthusiasts from other parts of the world, mm-hmm. because you do understand that. Like Merritt and I took a trip years ago, and we took a helicopter trip into the Grand Canyon, and uh, the gentleman that the gentleman and his wife that jumped in the helicopter with us, he was wearing you know this very clearly Harley Owners Group jacket. But he also was wearing a, a BMW Galandestrasse GS hat. <laughs> right. <laughs> right? And I was like, well, like mixing your metaphors, my friend. You know, whatever. And But, you know, whatever. That's fine. You know, we're, it's the middle of winter. We're going to get into a helicopter and He's go curious. into the bottom of the Grand Canyon and get on a very fast boat and do very dangerous things up what river was left back then before the river didn't exist anymore. Right? That's going to be great. We're going to jump into a stainless steel boat with over 1500 horsepower and go hellbent for leather up the middle of the Grand Canyon. Thanks to the, I, I'm going to say it wrong, but the Hulapai Indians, right? Who their tribe has the corner on the marketing and tourism concession that isn't controlled by the United States national parks um, because of reparations, I guess is a better term for it. But it turns out that when you take the United States government away from something Fun and you hand that. it over to Native American tribes, they're going to be like, sure, you want to hang off the edge? Go right ahead, right? Yeah. Yeah, we've got a 1,500-horsepower boat run by this 20-year-old kid over here. Yeah. And game on, and it was great. And, and you get access that you wouldn't normally get when you're on the National Park side of the, the big ditch. So we booked this thing out. And so this guy and his wife jump in the helicopter with us, and this is going to be awesome. And uh, I couldn't help. I was like, I literally... I'm sorry, I can't help but notice the Harley Davidson jacket, the BMW hat. Yeah. Right? Are you in town for a trade show? <laughs> you know, kind of thing. Because, you know, the base of operations out there would be Vegas. And he goes, Oh, no. And I was like, Oh, yep. Yeah, definitely right now, understanding English is not his first language. Very good. Turns out he was Filipino. And that he, in fact, does own a Harley Davidson Road King. And he, in fact, does own a BMW 1200GS, which in his neighborhood makes him pretty much God, right? He, huh. he, he, he has both of the giant ridiculous toys. And so I was asking him, I was like, well, so in, in the Philippines, like, is that culture? You asked the question, do people in the Philippines emulate the United States American biker? Yeah. And he goes, to a fault. <laughs> you know, in so many words, he was like, "Yeah, it's it's exactly." Well, that's why it. I was wondering if somebody like if there was a country that exaggerated it, like you know how Japan takes like the fifties rocker thing, and then yeah. the pompadours are like thirty inches high. Yes, and, and, fucking and cra- you know, and in Mexico, the pointy boots that actually go so far they yeah. curl back around themselves. Yeah, 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 right? Yeah, yes, right. you can go too far. Right. Right. There's that term. Oh shit, they've gone plaid. Well, <laughs> right, they've right. fucking gone plaid. And I think you're right. I think that's that's exactly it. And so. You know, do they latch on any morsel they could get? It, is it like, okay, 
Well, Sons of, Sons of Anarchy is the cool thing, so now we're all going to be Sons of Anarchy, right? I and did know. Have you noticed since that show came out, every fucking Harley that's not a bagger has that club fairing and the high fucking like crossbars on it? Every single one. They must have sold. That show must have sold like a million of those bikini <laughs> fucking bobber fairing, whatever those, you know, the high fairings. Because I never saw them until Sons of Anarchy. <laughs> And when all the club members in that show had the same fucking high fairing on. The phrase that pays is what you teetered on, Sleepy. Thank you. Uh, it is called club style. Club style. That's club it. style. Yeah. And, and Harley Davidson has leaned into it because. No, they really did. Yeah, they have. So Harley <laughs> Davidson is now selling you oh. a club style. And I guarantee you the club style Harley Davidson jacket has two gun holsters in it. Yes, it does. Amen, brother. <laughs> <laughs> oh, don't get you me started why, on dude, my feelings. You know why? Of- you know why? I bought a fucking, <laughs> not knowing what I was buying, I wanted a fucking jean vest because yeah. I like jean vest. I haven't yeah. had it in a long time. So I, I looked at this one. I'm like, oh, that looks like, I hate collars on them because like, you know, if I'm on my scooter, I don't want the thing flopping around. Yeah. So it like had a nice, almost like a... Uh, flat track racing collar to it. I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah. So I buy it, and it was a, a something-something motorcycle jean jacket club style. Club style. <laughs> so I get this thing, and I'm like, oh, sweet. It's got big pockets. So I go to try to put my phone in it, and I can't. And I'm like, why can't I put my phone in here? It's because it's got elastic shit to hold your gun. To hold the gun. Inside yeah, your right. inside your uh, your jean jacket when, yeah. you're, when, you're being, when you're playing Johnny Badass on your fucking... Well, you know, that once a month when I dress up to be a pirate and go ride my Harley Davidson, yeah. I also like to take out my Lady Smith & Wesson <laughs> and slide it into my yeah, gun yeah, holster, yeah. my concealed carry pouch. Right. Um, I'm going to, Steve, um, take the helm for a second. I'm going to show you guys a, a purchase I mistakenly made. Oh. All right. So Phil's, Phil's left the area and he's going well, somewhere. Well oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> Wait, there's American flags ingrained in things so and I stuff over here. Sometimes, oh, sometimes that's good. I buy things. Oh, yeah, right? man. Yeah, right? Okay, here we go. Let me get the cans back out of here. So you bought that to ride your road glide. So, dude. yeah, sometimes I make an impulse purchase, and I'm going to tell you that the, the person selling this jacket, the company selling the jacket, didn't tell me that it was look i am a big fan of brown pebble grain leather sure i love it man it's, it's just it feels like a football american style but i didn't know that embossed into the jacket was uh, a representation of the uh the don't tread on me uh, you know the, the yeah, gatson flag so uh, so on this jacket is uh stars and stripes on the back across the shoulders and then uh, also oh you got more on the right breasticle area in the right breasticle area, I've got stars, and on the left breasticle area, I've got stripes. Stripes, yeah, you got it. You got it all around. It's but like a flag draped over it you. It is like a flag draped over me. I feel a lot like a casket. <laughs> so, oh look, it's there is actually a gun. There's a cardboard. They did a cardboard gun. gun. A cardboard Beretta 92 on the concealed gun fags out there that says concealed carry gun pocket. Now I gotta say that the the gun pocket. Logo, the gun pocket tag is larger than any other tag on the jacket. Yeah. The tag that tells you what size it is. No, no. Nope, nope. the, nope. the, the tag that tells you how many cows were killed. The tag that tells you how to take care of it. Ooh. The tag that tells Dude. you the warranty or the features. If no. you lose the sleeves on that, you will have the ultimate cut. All of the <laughs> shit 
<laughs> All of the stuff that this jacket is telling you is not as important as apparently yeah, the biggest selling feature. A, a Beretta 92 will fit in well, this Well, how is it? Is the gun pocket everything that you hoped it would be? That's know. the important part. Well, we have to find this out. I don't often, you know, okay, so I'm a left-handed fella. So my gun pocket would be there. So that is Okay, okay. so oh, you got the it's right. got the double pet things. That's the that's what snaps. mine had. Oh, it's rather large. So and it does have two. Um, it has two elasticized. Yeah, to put the schnozzle in. And, yeah. It's called a barrel, Steve. Yeah, that's what it is. <laughs> and it does. So it is. It is ambidextrous, or you could double carry. If you yeah, yeah. It, if you're a double. Well, you know why? Because to do this. Oh yeah. You have to. Yeah, you know, yeah, you got to cross yeah, pull yeah, from right, both right. sides. Yeah. Right. So that's a. That would be the. What's his Danny to do the full Danny trail? Trail, yeah. yeah to do the full Danny trail. But he can but pull it off though. I was really yeah, liking right. this jacket before I realized it had the gratuitous stars and bars on it. You know, there's a like, certain there's a certain guy that's gonna want to buy that jacket. Well, yeah. this guy bought it. But <laughs> I'm gonna tell you, I, when I bought it, first of all, I also bought it because I had. When you're a dealer, you do get access to some of the information about like. You're like, oh, look at this new jacket. This this jacket has replaced the old jacket. I'm going to go check the clearance section and see how much the old jacket is. Right. And I have bought entire jackets from real companies you've heard of just to get armor. Oh, so, yeah. like, I have purchased jackets just because I knew the jacket was chock-a-block with D3O armor. And even if I just took the armor out of the jacket and put the armor into my most current jacket, I'd be ahead of the game. Because I, you know, I might pay. I'm not going to say what I paid for this, but I've had bigger bar tabs at cheap restaurants. So I mean, this. I think I paid fifty bucks for this, right? right. Maybe fifty or sixty bucks for it. Like it actually is. If you want to pass it over, it's it's not a terrible jacket, no. but it's just that you know, it's that you talk about. It's not 1992 Starboys red, white, and blue American flag leather jacket, leather jacket. But it is a little, yeah. Oh no, it's it's definitely the better part of a bad cow. It ain't right? a Vanson, though. No. no, it's not a Vanson. You hit the track at 105 miles an hour. That that's not. Well, and that up. too is you know, and I don't think that jacket even has the. I don't think that jacket was correctly put together to hold armor. That's a fashionable jacket that will protect you in so much as it is I some mean, sort of a cow. You right? strap that on and go to Smedley's, and you will be. Oh no, your Ooh. dance card's going to be full. Yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah, you're going to have you're going to have a lot of phone numbers for guys who have to flip their phone and have to open it. <laughs> yeah. But that's uh yeah, that's what that is and that's a jacket and yeah, you said it right. Concealed carry is <laughs> the big thing. Yeah. Uh I was just thinking that would probably several people I know in England who are Harley riders who would Snatch your hand off to buy one of those. Buckets, I know. But they'd have no use for the concealed carry box. Right. <laughs> <laughs> if I didn't know what the term meant. And uh, for those who are not of the gun persuasion, here in the state of Ohio, our concealed carry law is now, are you guys ready? I'm going to recite the Ohio concealed carry for it, law for you. It's, are you ready? It's hard to know the whole law. I will give you the entire law. Okay. Okay. Yep. <laughs> yeah. That's it. So, am I allowed to carry concealed? Yep. yep. Am I allowed to carry open? Yep. Am I allowed to just fucking carry whatever the fuck I want, whenever the fuck? Yep. yep. Uh, I may have had, I may have been a bad boy in my previous life. Can I still carry? Yep. That's 
As long as you can legally buy a gun, you can carry it wherever the fuck you want. I just it's got fucking stupid. It my is my so daughter's dumb. turning nine. She got her concealed carry. Yeah, I had yeah, to get her a gun. gun I had to get her a gun. Third grade. If you're not carrying in third grade, man, you're. I, for people who do not live here, for people who live in other places, today, one of my customers in the shop today owns a gun store, a real gun shop, like a proper gun shop. Um, it's a gun shop that uh, that is in Parma. Oh, yeah. Okay. And uh, it's right across from Harbor Freight. So degenerates like us know right where that gun shop oh, yeah. is, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. And so it's, uh, yeah. And so it's kind of in a strip mall, you know. It, it's when you look at the place, you're like, hmm, it's a strip mall. Uh, but it is very much a gun shop, and <clears throat> he's been broken into a lot because it's a gun store, you know. And he was talking about a friend of his gun store that got broken into the other day. Or not that long ago, and twenty-seven Glock pistols were stolen, hmm. and three long guns. I have no idea why they'd steal long guns, but what the hell? They were probably AR variant type. Atlantic long guns. Gun and Tackle got robbed last year too, and that place has been like <laughs> forever in the wrong place for forever. twenty-five years. <laughs> yeah, and so I didn't realize, but you know, when I'm speaking with this guy and I'm just having a chat, I was like, "What the?" F- Fuck is because I look. If you've met me and you've ever talked to me about running a motorcycle shop, you will know that one of my absolute pet peeves is old white men who think this is a museum. They're retired. They have nowhere better to be. <sighs> Phil loves old white men, and you, you love them especially when you say, "Hey, come tomorrow and pick up your bike because it'll be done." Dude, that guy. Wow. <laughs> Oh man, I'm glad Steve was here for that. Dude, I showed up and I thought he was I was about to hug a guy because I thought it was he was playing pranks with this dude. So I'm about to go up and be like, ha, what's up? And all of a sudden I'm like, oh wait, that guy's really mad. <laughs> guy was super mad. And he dropped his bike off yesterday to have some services done. And so he had insinuated that well, he didn't insinuate. No, he he told you. He told me. He told me that yesterday when he dropped his bike off, <laughs> that I had told him. Your bike will be done tomorrow. So I walk into this. I pull up, and he's standing outside with this dude. And I, and at first, he just looked like you know a happy old school customer. Yeah, right. And Phil's, yeah. you know, and there's a scooter running, and I'm like, hey, okay. So I, I'm thinking it's all happy time and everything. And I walk out, and Phil just goes, "Have I ever told anybody that they could pick their bike up tomorrow?" I said, no. I mean, like, even when I was here, like mostly you got yelled at by people because you wouldn't give them a day <laughs> because you don't know. And the people are like, well, I need to know. And you're like, how can I tell you? I haven't even looked in your bike yet. <laughs> like, we don't know if I'm going to like... I, if, if, <laughs> I yeah. usually tell people, I'm like, the dentist can't tell you what you need until he looks in your mouth. Your bike is eight years old. It has 700 miles on it. I have no idea what I'm going to find when I look in your bike. Will it be done tomorrow? It'll be done when it's done and not a moment earlier. I've heard but, you say that a thousand fucking times. Right. It'll be done when it's done and not a moment earlier. All right. And I promise you, because I'm motivated by the money that's currently in your wallet that I want to relocate to my wallet, that I will call you when your bike is done. I won't forget to call you. It's the foundation of my mortgage. I will remember to call you when I want to 
finalize our relationship. So I won't forget to call you, but I also won't call you until your bike is done. And I've been saying that for 22 fucking years. So for you to come in here and insinuate that for one time in 22 years, I'm going to be out of character and I'm going to take your bike that I've never met before, that all I know is your bike is over eight years old and it has less than 700 miles on it. And I'm going to tell you that without looking under her skirt, that she'll be done tomorrow at whatever PM. For you to suggest that I would say that is cuckoo go nuts. And he didn't suggest. He was adamant. He was super adamant. And I said, you know, I understand that you want to believe that. You're calling me a liar. And I was like, I'm not calling you anything, but I'm telling you that nobody who's ever spent any time in this building would ever tell you. But he told you that you were a fucking liar. And he's like, well, you're a fucking liar. And I was like, I'm not a liar. In fact, that's one of the magical things about me. It's really hard to make me lie. Because I'm, I'm sneaky that way. I've learned that if you lie, you have to remember things, and yep. I'm not good at that. So I usually make it super hard to make people try to make me tell a lie or something that may be called a lie in the future, a lie that may someday hatch and become a lie, but is today just a lack of information. And he was so spicy. He was so, he was so the best, upset. The best thing, though, the thing that I almost pissed myself laughing so the dude was in a tire that could only be described that he is now too old to ride his Harley, which he sold about a year ago, <laughs> and somehow has acquired the scooter because now he's going to ride a scooter because he can no longer ride his Harley. Yeah, that's true. Because he's wearing the gear of yeah. a Harley rider. Yeah, he has the adornments that one would associate with a Harley. So after yeah. he had had enough and Phil yeah. did not back down, and they went back and forth to the point that like he's basically like good day sir and he was leaving but in not so not nice in those ways. words <laughs> he tried to do cuz he must have had a 1200 something <sighs> and he went and he went <sighs> he tried to <sighs> he tried to rev his way out of the situation he tried to rev his way out but the scooter just went <sighs> <laughs> and then he just moseyed off. But like you can tell just by his arm and the way he twisted it, he's so used to like, oh yeah, fuck you. And yeah. it just was like Yeah, he tried to anger rev me <laughs> and the bike was just like uh. It's a Vespa GTS. It was, it was just like, ciao! Bellissimo! <laughs> Yeah, there was no punctuating that <laughs> that conversation. And I, mean, I mean, I don't know what I do not I do not understand where he thought he's like. I've been at home all day waiting for your phone call. Yeah, he did. And I was like, "Got a life." The like, fuck, man! Beautiful day. I missed a whole day of riding. Well, with seven hundred miles on your nine year old bike, you yeah. haven't really missed a lot of other days. Fucking do, man. Not for nothing, but what the fuck, man? Yeah, right. And, you know, this is the time of the year where I don't exactly have 26 bikes lined up in the service department. Right. When he called me at five o'clock and I could tell that he was super duper upset that I was going to, you know, according to our work schedule right now, his bike could be done on Saturday if everything goes the way it goes. Now, that's not big. Yesterday, what was yesterday? Wednesday? Yesterday was Wednesday and he brought it in at six o'clock. At, at, so not Close even Wednesday. So Thursday right. morning. So he lost yesterday. So Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Right. That's basically two business days. Two business around. days. Exactly. Right. That's fucking more than acceptable. I'm, that's the way we normally operate around here. Right. Usually that's our target. And anyway, but I could tell he was really upset on the phone. So I was like, well, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to light the fires and I'm going to make sure this is done for you. We close at six. Can you be here at five forty-five? 
And he's like, oh, I'm on my way there right now. I said, okay, great. So I got everything done and made sure everything was fine for him. I brought out the the you know sample of his oil before the change and his oil after the change. It was something I do. And I just want people to see. You know, this is the oil as it came out of your bike with 800 miles on it. This is the oil we put in. You're fine. I show him the dipstick and all the stuff we do. I, I, I cautioned him because his bike came in with his tires were like 10 PSI too low. So I cautioned him about that, gave him some tips and whatever, took his money. And then he's like, he literally just, he just wanted to have an argument. Yep. And, and, then, I, I like, and then after yeah. like, after he couldn't get his way. Yeah. And stuff. Then he was like, "Well, I'll have to question your work because now you rushed it." That's what he said. I'm going to have to look at your work with a fine toothed comb because you rushed, rushed it. it. <laughs> well, why did we, well, first like, of all? Why was he rushing it? Wait a second. Why did I rush it? Yeah. Oh, that would have been you. Yeah. All right. Check. All right. Secondly, cool. you weren't you weren't fucking doing a, a top end on it. No, it was, no, it was not basic service, annual service. Yeah. yeah. It was an annual service, the first annual service that's had in nine years. Right. So. He's just the guy's huge favor. I know. I know. No, but he's. But I know he's gonna. I know he's gonna give us a zero star. I absolutely know he's gonna give us a one. star You know what's crazy? So like when I was sitting here working on bikes and he was talking to all these people on the thing, right? You would you wouldn't believe how fast people go from the cheeriest motherfucker, yeah, to like the most evil satanic humanoid, this evil device. You want to know how it is? You ever had a three year old around? Yeah. Take their candy out of their hand. Yeah. So let them take like three bites out of the candy and then take the candy away. And you see how quickly they turn? Yeah. That's the motorcycle industry. I just, I, my favorite part though is when people would be like, they think they were calling, like in the heat of this summer when you couldn't find a motorcycle in stock yeah. in the history of the United States, um, somebody would call and be like, I got, you got that bike. Yeah. How much is it? $3,000. It's a really good deal, whatever. Okay. If I come down at 1200 would you take it? <laughs> no. What do you mean? You're going to say turn down cash? It's like, bro, do you, have you looked at the market right now? Like, like, no, I'm not taking $100. No, no, I'm not. No, there's no way, man. And <laughs> like the motorcycle industry is always a very strange thing anyway. But it is hilarious how many people think that like that we buy the bikes for $4,000 and sell them for $8,000. That is completely the belief. Yeah, yeah. The belief. I had a guy today that was going to trade me some work, labor work at my house for a bike, right? He's like, well, so I, my brother, I, I got a bike, but my brother wants a bike too. So I figure if I come out and I install this, you know, patio roof for you, that you can just grab one of these bikes and give it to me. I'll give it to my brother. <laughs> <clears throat> what exactly do you think my profit margin is on these things? And right. I'm like, cause it's 14% if you do everything right. It's 14 points. And if you're a business student, you'll know that's not great. It's a very bad profit margin. And it's if you get into things like Suzuki or you get into things like you know uh, a Honda, you might be down to ten points on a bike, and the only way you can make it back is if you use their financing, if you do their back end components and all that kind of weird shit. So the motorcycle industry is not ripe with profit. It's not like oh, I'm buying this eight thousand dollar motorcycle, this ten thousand dollar motorcycle. It doesn't cost me five thousand dollars. I'm not doubling my money. Um, we had a, a zero roll in today and the, the truck driver was throwing shade on it. Like, you know, oh, I'm just going to kick it off my truck because it's electric because truck drivers have a problem with electric vehicles. It's political. Okay. So he was going to kick my moto, my, my, I'm sorry, my zero electric motorcycle. He was going to kick it off the back of his truck because it's electric. 
And I said, well, woogie, woogie, woogie. I said, it's, it's made in America, <laughs> right? I said, it's, it's faster than anything you'll ever own. It goes from zero to 60 and 2.8. So fuck you. It's got 150 odd pounds feet of torque. Dude, that guy's 84 Ford Ranger is fucking going to be right. living forever. And be well, he's a Harley guy. He yeah. was wearing all the adornments. Well, I know, that's what he yeah. puts his Ford Ranger and, and carries his And Harley I was Ranger. like, and he was like, and I said, well, just letting you know that, you know, that's, that's a, a $23,000 motorcycle you're talking about kicking out of the back of the truck. And it's a $23,000 motorcycle that's made in America by Americans. How's your Harley doing? Right. And I was like, so <clears throat> anyway. Yeah. And yeah, the guy was just like super duper salty in that whole thing. And I was like, you know. Doesn't that kind of fuck their argument up though? Yeah. Okay. You guys can start recording. So, okay. We can start recording. Good. We were just so, taking a time out. Hold on. The guy's driving a truck. He's driving an 18-wheeler. Yep. And he brought the wrong dolly. He brought the wrong. He brought the wrong pallet jack. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, keep he's going. Just trying to slag off the kit that he's making money at. It's bizarre because I, I was just thinking tonight. I used to work for a uh, a well-known manufacturer in the Solon area, mm-hmm. and uh, I was catching a whole load of off a customer one time when they discovered that the valves that we supplied to them were made in China. Yes, yes. And they said. We only buy your shit. It's the most expensive stuff we have. We only buy it because it's made. Oh, they're funny enough. That's the company you're talking about. And, uh, um, and they were going. This guy was going ape shit. And I mean, I've, I've, to be honest, I totally agreed with it. Yes, but I couldn't say that no. You can't. I made my living out of That's selling exactly their shit. Exactly right. And I swore from that day forward I'd do everything I could to keep as much work out of the Chinese plant as possible. And now I'm very delighted to work for one of the main competitors. Exactly. Everything in America. Exactly. When you, you sell, when you work for them, when that's your job, right. it's your job to justify what you're bloody doing. Absolutely. So you don't abuse the freight that you're being paid to transport around the country. You take, treat it with kid gloves. And you also think about this whole idea about like, okay, well, should you do happen to inadvertently damage my piece of freight, keep in mind, one, you're not delivering it wearing a mask and a hood, right? <laughs> <laughs> you're handing me a bill of lading. I'm inspecting the cargo, and if I have any problem with the outside of the crate, I'm going to make you wait while I open motherfucking crate, and then I'm going to inspect what's inside the crate, and anything that's wrong with it, I'm going to, I'm going to write on the fucking thing, yep, and, uh, and then you're going to have to countersign that that says you're acknowledging that I'm not crazy and all these damages are really actually there. So? Your move, dude. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So I was like, you best not be hating on my shit when it's my shit that kind of keeps you coming around. Well, not only that, but he's probably the same guy that goes to Walmart and he's not mad that Walmart's selling fucking like every fucking electric Chinese piece of shit that's ever come through anything. That's also, yeah, you're absolutely right. And that's, and that's what it is. So it's, it is a thing when people do get to that point where they're like, oh, I just hate on that because that's not from the camp I grew up in or what have you. Right. Like, yeah, yeah, well, no shit, man. But if you want to be that super duper angry about stuff, like maybe your job shouldn't rely upon items getting to where they should be in good working order, right? I mean, it's just a very basic thing. I, I don't understand why it was a problem, but yeah, but it was a really funny thing. And he's just like, ah, I, I hate this shit. I'm a longshoreman out in California. I will only unload ships that come from Canada. Thank you. Exactly. Right. Right. Oh, if I see that, if I see that, that, uh, if I see that, that 40 foot container says Hyundai on the side of it, I'm going to give it an extra shake. (laughs) 
Yeah, well, that's great, except for it's all the replacement parts for your wife's vibrator, and she's going to be super angry in about three weeks. Yeah, it's just, the, I mean, look, that's ridiculous. Taking it out on, you know, whatever it is you're transporting or having that, like, sense of ego where you're like, I hate all things that are not Harley Davidson's. What the fuck, man? Are you serious? Can you literally live like that? Because it's kooky. That guy's still holding on to Betamax like, yeah, <laughs> fuck it. This is the best, best quality ever. Back to your question about Harley riders in England. A friend of mine was a Harley rider in England. He used to go on all these rallies and stuff. And he did tell me, don't bother turning up at one of our rallies unless you're on a Harley because they'll just like, well, you're on the place. It's totally isolated. <laughs> yeah. We only allow American bikes here. On the, on the <laughs> aforementioned. Don't run on those foreign triumph <laughs> things. <laughs> Don't you care about your fellow countrymen? <laughs> I must admit, though, you have me when you were talking about people wearing the wrong kit, though, because having been a triumph rider in England, I came over and all I could afford to buy was a very second-hand Harley Sportster, which was a bit too small for you know, like a big chimpanzee on it. But I was riding around in Triumph clothing on my Harley, on the Harley Davidson. Davidson. One of my absolute favorite jackets that I've ever owned happens to be a Honda Line jacket. It's a it's a it's a really nice. I love it. It's just it's not too hot. It's not too cool. It's a really good jacket, but it very clearly has the wing from a Honda logo on the back of it, a vintage Honda logo. I really like the big wing. I really enjoy it. And on the side, it's got another round patch with a Honda emblem on it. And I love that jacket. And I think it's one of my favorite things in the world when I'm wearing that jacket whilst riding one of my Harley Davidsons. Because it's so many times the opposite. You'll see the guy in the full Honda, the Harley Davidson regalia, like Team Hog. But you'll see he's on a VT1100 or something, right? You guys are reminding yeah. me of the 90s, like with my sport bikes I had back then. You couldn't, you could like your jacket, if you had a Kawasaki, your yeah. jacket better be fucking half green. or <laughs> Team colors, yeah, right? Yeah, right. Yeah. Like you couldn't, like if, like if, and then of course, if you sold your bike and you got a Honda, right. you had to get all new gear because you couldn't wear the fucking <laughs> Kawasaki leathers on the fucking Honda. Like it was, you couldn't do that, man. Uh, yeah. So there was these two guys and they got stranded in the middle of nowhere and they're, they're starving to death and they look and the one guy's like is that a tree that's growing bacon it's a bacon tree <laughs> so he runs over to the tree and he grabs off a slice and starts eating it and all of a sudden pow 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 he gets shot he falls over dead and his friend says oh no it's not a bacon tree it's a ham bush it's a ham bush oh. <laughs> I do remember back in the early 70s, there was a lot of animosity about um, Japanese cars coming into Britain. <laughs> yeah. And um, those days... Does this have anything to do, do with the handbush? <laughs> no, totally. <laughs> no, so, but, but wait, bear with me. Um, the, in those days, um, Nissan cars were known as Datsun. Right, yes. And they'd had a lot of problems with the gearboxes, and they were desperate to keep up the reputation. And they couldn't wait to air freight... All the new gearbox components that they needed in, so they ended up um, to, to sea freight it. So they air freighted them. Anyway, there was a story that this uh, this aircraft had got in trouble somewhere over the Middle East, and uh, they were they were losing altitude and they had to do something about it. So they said, "Well, what, what are we carrying? What are we carrying? Well, it's all, a whole lot of engine components and gearbox parts. Well, you're gonna have to throw that out because we otherwise we're going down. We're going to crash." So they started tipping these crates of uh, of gearbox components out and. Uh, 
Meanwhile, there's a couple of Arabs riding through the desert on uh, on camels below, and one of them looks up and he says to his mate, "My look, good lord, look, Abdul, it's raining dats and cogs." But I'm pumped. Oh, that's great. Dots and cocks. That's a long walk for that one. That was a fucking bonus. He started it. That's, he did start it. He threw the first, he fired the first salvo. We, uh, I ran out of, uh, I ran out of cooling on a CBX in, when I was in New York City, when I was first wooing Dr. Waters. Oh, you told me. Yeah. You and, uh, and I ran out of cooling and my CBX became violently hot. Yeah. And all the noises made bad noises and the, the, the valves stopped valving. And my six-cylinder motor became like a four, and then became like a three, and then became like a two-cylinder motor. And I'm in this gridlock fucking New York City traffic, just not having good time with it at all on what otherwise should be an amazing experience. And so uh, my destination for the day was the actual Harley-Davidson Cafe in Manhattan. And uh, that was my goal, was to get to the heart Mickey Rourke and Billy Idol had teamed up and built this fucking Harley Davidson cafe. And I was like, I'm going to make it. So I did. And I pulled up. And when I pulled up, I, I pulled onto the sidewalk in Manhattan for fuck's sake, man. So I pull up and there's a big sign that says American motorcycle parking only. And I, I fucking rolled my shit right up on there. And as you should, you know, I did. And it was balls hot. And uh, I, I jump off the motorcycle and I like give it a quick Hail Mary, like, please be a motorcycle when I come back. Because right now, it was not. It was a heat experiment. And like, so <laughs> I, in I went and I ordered in and I, I got down. I sat at the bar and it was great. And a fella came in and the fella came in. He was wearing one of the shirts for the establishment, which, you know, said Harley Davidson all over it. And the guy's like, yeah, hey, you got to go out and move your motorcycle. And I, I, whatever. And I was like, yeah, fuck you. And uh, so the guy goes, no, you got to go out and move your motorcycle. And I said, again, yeah, fuck you. Yeah. And he goes, no, policy, man. You got to move that motorcycle. It can't have any Japanese motorcycles out in front of the place. It's American motorcycles only. And I said, read the back of the seat. Fuck you. And he goes, and he's like, oh. And so I realized I was getting nowhere, but the good news was my food was in front of me and it was not going to get spit in again, right? Because <laughs> I'd already had my food. So I was like, I'm not giving up on this. I've been in this industry way too long. So he musters up whoever he musters up and that's fine. And so manager comes out and the manager comes out and hey man, you, you got to move your motorcycle. We got a policy here. Fuck your policy. Bikes made in America. Again, in the spirit of Harley Davidson, fuck you. And the guy's like, what? And I said, that's a Honda CBX. It's made in fucking Marysville, Ohio by people who live in Marysville, Ohio and go to Marysville schools and worship in Marysville churches and, and fuck their Marysville wives and, and wish they were in a city like Cleveland. <laughs> so fuck you. That bike is made in America. And the guy was like, well, it's not a Harley Davidson. And I said, and I said, dude, if you had one, if you were anything other than a restaurant manager right now, you'd know this is not a conversation you want to get in. But in the wide, weird world of motorcycles, there are Kawasaki's that are built in Nebraska. There are Hondas that are built in Ohio. And there are Harley Davidson's that are built in Mexico. 
and other places too. So fuck off. Dude, you got to take a zero up there and park. Right. And so I was just like, fuck off. And so I'm now I'm not enjoying my hamburger. (laughs) My triple Dina burger is no longer delicious to me. (laughs) And I'm like, fuck man, you know, fuck these guys. You know, this is not the experience I wanted to have. This was, you know, 2000 or whatever. And it was really not the experience I wanted to have. And I was pretty upset. I was starting to get upset. And this other guy comes, this guy comes ahead, he's like, is that your CBX out there? And I said, it is my CBX out there. And I'm about ready to fuck this guy off. And it was Mickey Rourke. Uh, <laughs> and he was like, and he goes, yeah, that's really cool, man. I was like, yeah, that's great. <laughs> and he goes, that's, that's fucking, that's badass. Is this before or after he mutilated his face into a... Mickey movie? Rourke's never been traditionally handsome. No, but now... No, he does look like a 90-year-old lady right now, but yeah. He yeah. had the work done. Why would it leave yourself eh, ugly? Ugly's okay, but eh, work is not good. Yeah, man. I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't always come out like the pictures in the pamphlets, right? Uh, but yeah, it was Mickey Rourke, and he was very fucking nice about it. He was super yeah, cool about it. Cool. I didn't know he's one of the owners of the place until just then. Ah. But yeah, he was like, he's like, yeah, I, I own this place, and I was like, really? That's that's cool. And I'm like, <laughs> and I thought I was, I was just like, he's like, yeah, he goes, CBX is pretty badass, and like he was just very nice. He was a super nice guy. We talked about motorcycles. He'd done a film with Don Johnson called Harley Davidson and the Marlboro Man, is yeah. arguably one of the worst motorcycle movies ever built. But the jacket was awesome. Oh, really? I forgot no, he all had about the flat check. Flat yeah, flat track, track jacket. jacket. Yeah, yeah, he did. That's right. That's I what kind of initiated that. the whole Star Boys thing. It was the movie where they had a Honda PC800 doing a wheelie. Yeah. Which anybody will tell you yeah, is just yeah, not yeah, fucking yeah, doable. Yeah. I don't give a shit who you are. So it was bullshit. Bullshit <laughs> of the highest order. But he wasn't, a, he wasn't a bad guy. He was very nice. He was very cool. It was awesome. And it was great. And he didn't say a fucking word about the CBX parked on the sidewalk. He thought it was really fucking cool. Well, were, I thought that was cool. You were eating your $29 burger. so he was It was a very expensive <laughs> burger. I will admit, the beer was really expensive too. And I was drinking Newcastle Brown at the time. Oh, yeah. I went through a bad period of Newcastle Brown. Like, that was all I drank. And I got to tell you, a, a like year of our Lord, 1998 Newcastle Brown. Yeah, that's like a dollar. All right. Who's that made by? Genesee. Genesee. That is not from Newcastle upon Tyne. Yeah. (laughs) Fuck, man. (laughs) (laughs) That's hilarious. That's fucking great. I always thought that was funny about the Newcastle label is on the Newcastle label. It actually says serve cool. <laughs> like, Not cold. like it's the only one of the British beers ever that tells you the serving instructions on the bottle yeah. to disprove the whole concept of Lucas Electronics and refrigeration and stuff like that. It literally tells you on the Newcastle bottle, you don't want this one sitting out in the open for too long. This one you keep in the coolerator. Yeah, you you got to do that. Just below. Just <laughs> Define cool. The beer was made. In- that there you go. That was American beer. That's absolutely it. Um, I did. You've been watching the stories of the Transalp, mm-hmm. the new Honda Transalp. Oh yeah, right. I like it. Uh, okay, because every Honda fanboy, right? Every fucking Honda fanboy, they launched that thing in the right fucking color scheme. Yeah, they did it right. It's the same fucked up color scheme that I sold the one to Steve Hoffert. Yep. Which was the color is not blue. And it's not purple either. Mm-mm. It's like this periwinkle color. And gold rims. With gold, gold rims. rims. And 
Is this the same basic bike as the Africa Twin? But no. no. So this it's is the Honda's version of a Versys. You're exactly right. Well, they You're had to come absolutely out, right. They had to come out with something 700ish because Yamaha Tenray is 700. Yes. Then you have uh, the 660s now. The, yep. That thing, whatever the Triumph, the, this whatever this thing is. That is the uh, the Touareg. The, yeah. Yeah. So that's the Aprilia Touareg. We have a Touareg over there right that's now. That's like a 660, 700. That's a 660. Yep, you yep, know. Yep, so like they yep. had to have a middleweight, middleweight yeah. adventure bike. Um, yeah. Yeah. And that's like, so, and that's you know, I'll just bring it over just so people can kind of see it. And because this is a whole. So Phil is dragging. Because over. this is a whole segment. Phil's bringing the bike over right now. He's out of mic shot. Oh, you're going to, yeah, yeah. It's enough of it anyway. So, oh, yeah, cool. So, it looks like it had got, it's been dirty at least once in its life. Yeah. And, well, it's got $1,000 worth of stickers. So you can't <laughs> just going to say $1,000 worth of stickers on it. But, right. Yeah, that um, that's one he's, of our customers who's participated uh, in the fucking Dakar rally. In I was gonna say in 2016 on a bike that was just built recently like last year. Um, yeah. But but that's a good example. So that's the Aprilia Touareg 660. So yeah, we we we're acknowledging that there's this class of two cylinders, right? I mean, we there's rules, right? So apparently there's rules. You have to have two cylinders. You have to have apparently between 600 and 700, or maybe let's call it 800, 800. cc's, right? Or KTM's 890. Well, that's just getting, yeah. But it's oh, like yeah, the middle the way. That's, that's gratuitous. Of, yeah. That's just KTM. <laughs> they're, they're bumped into the 900. So that's just KTMification. Yeah. yeah. They have yeah. to run with the leader class. Well, the good news is, though, you know it's a KTM. Yeah. So it'll probably beat everybody, but then. For an hour and a half. Yeah. And then it'll break. <laughs> and then you won't be able to get the parts. Right. The, uh, but that class, I mean, when we, when we think about how we'll admit it, the Versys was, okay, BMW had the F650 Funduro, right? Um, and that was kind of getting the ball rolling. And then the Serato or Serata, what was it, Serata? Because then they came out with the Dakar version of the Serato, oh. which was like, again, a six... Because they have the 650 single and the 650 twin. Right. In that same yeah. Well, there's a GS800. And the GS800, well, exactly. That, that's gone through iterations, too. It has. But, but originally, like Phil said, there was the 650, or 600, was it, originally? Mm-hmm. Six, the 650, that was the Funduro. That was the okay. Rotax. Yeah. It was the Rotax for like a day and a half, and then it became like the... It's really Rotax inspired, I promise you. It's yeah. not made in Austria. It's made while looking at a picture of Austria in a factory owned by Kimco. Right. Right. Yeah. But it's Rotax inspired, I promise you. Yeah, but the yeah. funny part was is like it's hard to tell which bike is what because the single cylinder one has a, a tool canister that looks like a fucking exhaust <laughs> okay. bike. So yeah, you <laughs> Yeah, guilty. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So I have been that guy okay. who is looking at the back of a BMW motorcycle. Our, our Cleveland Police Department bought a whole bunch of these yeah. motorcycles. And from the back of it, you're like, oh, it's the twin. two mufflers. Yeah, it's the twin. <laughs> and uh, it's not. No. It's a completely fake muffler. Yeah. It, you it, can fuck with people, too, because if you know it's that bike, you can be like, Dude, I don't get burned anymore. What are you talking about? And you grab that side and you're like, hey, and then they grab that. Like, ah, they got burned. It is, uh, it is absolutely not real. Uh, <laughs> we've we've had a we've had a few of them come through, 
And uh, I didn't. I have you ever had a customer ask you something's wrong because their left muffler's not blowing? Well, I was going to say there's only one of your mufflers that's going to discolor. Yeah, right. The other one's not so much. <laughs> and they did use it as like an expansion chamber. They did use it as kind of a resonator. Okay. You know? It, yeah. Okay. All right. All right. No, it really wasn't. It was completely non-functional, and it was. It is absolutely true that. I didn't, I got, I literally got made fun of because I didn't pick up on that right away. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's true. And so when you're looking at the back of one of these motorcycles, you'll realize that only one of them has smoke coming out. Yep. So it's been a really funny thing that they have made no small number of fake modifications to incorporate storage into that fake muffler, okay. right? And so the fake muffler has turned into a decent location to just put uh, cylindrical thing shaped things. Oh well, yeah, it's your it's your dildo holder for lack of a better term. When you when you look at the back of it, so when you are looking at one of these in with sober eyes, right, you will see that one of them very clearly has carbon inside of it, and one of them does not. Yet one of them very much has a nipple and a ring and everything on the back of it to suggest that at some point errant exhaust gases may come out of there. Right. It I'm doesn't. Just, I'm just envisaging the Frenchman in rural France riding him with his baguettes on the back of that. <laughs> <laughs> but he would leave it hooked up so that it warmed it slightly. Uh, just yeah, a little. <laughs> right. Okay, so for the sake of argument, we're not going so to it talk. It have a nice stainless steel compact underbelly muffler. I mean, oh. <laughs> I, exactly right. So, so we know that the BMW F650 kind of launched this thing about these lightweight, middleweight, light to middleweight adventure bikes. Right. And I will definitely give the devil his due and say that the F650 is probably the grandfather of this. But then, you know, we know that the Versys absolutely dominates well, the market on, but the the v-strom well, was go back, a long time though, ago the africa twin 750 and i think they had an africa twin 600 too okay that's back oh, now hold on hold on if you want to go back well then the bmw we have the british scramblers that were exactly around. well yeah you right that far. if, well, if yeah. you really want to go back we have the CL no but i'm what i'm saying though the but it's not all adventure bikes all current adventure bikes are modeled right. after the fucking <laughs> africa twin the original africa twin is what styled and set the basis for an adventure bike thank you very much <clears throat> no all right what did the bmw gs because Whoa. they were all based on, they were all based on the the Dakar bikes. They were all based right. on the bikes that were but, going across. But, but what I'm saying, the desert. So the PD, the the GS, what was it? One thousand one hundred. Well, there's the eight hundred. So 800 the eight hundred was the first one to go across the desert. Right. And then after that, the Japanese departments all decided they would go across the desert right. too. What I'm saying is, right. is that they all got ambushed. The, the Africa, <laughs> they all got ambushed. The Africa twin right. is the one that created the style of what we now call an adventure bike. Uh, Even if yeah, the BMW, right. the Paris Dakar version right. of it went across a desert, yeah. it still looks like a motorcycle with a high pipe and some shit slapped on it. <laughs> Honda is the first one to actually put fairings and make it look all, you know, like it is now. Like, 
the, that's the thing is what year is that Africa twin? That's like a 80, 88, 88. Yeah. 88. I mean, if it came out next to my Africa twin, like you'd be like, Oh, you got a body kit. It's not that different. Like, Let's just agree and move on. <laughs> I have to tell you, you mentioned Dakar. Whatever. I always remember a rather unkind thing that I did. There was a, a guy that I hadn't lived here very long. And there was a guy I met in a motorbike show and I, uh, new year's day, I was admitted to hospital to have neck surgery. And fast forward a few weeks, and I was allowed out, and I was able to go to the motorbike show, and I got this great big collar out. <laughs> and I'd seen this guy only a couple of months before in his shop, and he comes up and goes, oh, what happened to you? I said, oh, have you heard of Paris Dakar? He goes, yeah. So it's nothing to do with that at all. That was all right. I felt I pretty bad about that. I, uh, I feel like the very, I mean, this was not. Yeah, that's the PD. Right, that's the Perry yep. Dakar. And that's the Perry Dakar from 1985, which is three years before the Transel. I understand that. Right. And I'm saying, like, it, yeah. it, 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 I know what it did, right. but it doesn't resemble what we now, it doesn't look like this. I have fair game. This looks yes. like a fucking Africa twin with right. a different schnozzle. That's it. <laughs> There's a bike on Marketplace I want to use Patreon money for. Uh-oh. Yeah. Uh-oh. It's a yeah. Versys, a 2009 Versys with 2,000 miles on it. They want $1,500. Whoa, what? No title. <sighs> oh, oh, I need a yard a bike. I mean, it's a modern bike, man. It's, how How hard did you lose that title? I but it's a lot of bike for fifteen hundred bucks. And you like, said I have a Versys. I can just slap my plate on it. I'm like, of course you can. Take that Versys and strip it down and make it a gnarly, you know, put knobbies. On, make it an actual off-road version. Yeah. Isn't well, dude, go to go to. It's all it can be sticky. But if you everybody the link. if you go to Adventure Rider, there's a dude who does that. He uh, yeah. it, it's like Gravel Runner yeah, four two right. eight or six four yeah. eight or whatever, and he he makes these these Versys into like fucking insane bikes it yeah could be it could be a fun off-road bike i mean not like mine is not i mean it would it needs tires and, and i'm not and the, i'm not yeah change he puts KLL, klr 450 front forks on it and then he does a whole rear swing arm from a different bike so it gives it an extra like three inches of suspension travel in the back and but i guess what I, my point is is we're not talking about the verses we're talking about this ridiculous assault of motorcycles that exist right now. There it is. Which one? The blue one down. Down low? This one? Oh, there you go. It's an ugly versus. Oh yeah, this is when they were this is when they were truly fucking butt ugly. For fifteen hundred doll hairs. And it's got two thousand miles on it. Yeah, it's only lightly stolen. That's fantastic. Oh man, that's brilliant. For fifteen hundred bones? Give me a fucking break. So that's the okay. So Dan's not here. Is that is that a porta potty out in front of the house? A porta potty in front of the John, in front of the across the street. I don't know. Let's find out. Thing? Well, he doesn't have much of a garage. I can tell you that. That's a that's a dirt floor if he's got one. No, that's just a wooden door on the on the shed back there on the shed of the the house. But but my God, man, look, we've all we all got to ride Dan's Triumph, mm-hmm. and that bike is motherfucking good. It's nice a bike. very very good bike, nice. the Tiger. And the Tiger's a really, really good bike. And anybody who's ridden the V-Strom 650 will tell you that if you ride the V-Strom 650 and you ride the brand new Triumph Tiger in the same day, you're going to go back and you're going to kick over the V-Strom, right? Because you realize how heavy it is. You realize that it's, it, it feels 
It doesn't feel snappy and it doesn't feel like I'm going to go out and play. And it, the Triumph Tiger feels like a Jack Russell Terrier. It feels really excited to go do fun stuff. It has a very high top speed. So it's like, it, it's, it's allowing you to explore the upper limits of the rev range. Whereas the V-Strom is more of a V-twin, right? It doesn't really like those really high, super high numbers. The Versys is truly everything. The Kawasaki Vulcan, the Ninja 650, the Versys, and maybe 75 other motorcycles I haven't named yet all use the exact same powertrain. How many bikes that motor is? It's kind of fucking weird how many bikes are that one parallel 650 motor. And if you are, we talk about Isla Man, if you are a fan of that, that 650 class, that sports, that super sport class that exists is all those motors. It was. And people like Norton retro engineered motors that shouldn't exist to participate in that class. But that motor was designed to be everybody's entry into motorsports or everybody's entry into a cruiser or everybody's entry into an adventure bike or whatever the fuck you want it to be. Apparently, they had one rule. It has to have two cylinders and it can't have the letters KLR in the name. Everything else is totally awesome about that motor. I've never had a bad one. I've never seen a bad one come through the shop. I've seen some that had almost no oil in them that still ran. The very basic, simple, single, wrong-sided suspension system on the back end, which is it's a monoshock, but it's not really a monoshock. It's just a traditional shock. It's just off-centered. Well, and the cool part about those motors, too, is that they're pretty skinny. Yes, they so are. So, like when you stick yeah. them in off-road bikes and stuff, they can fall over, and you're not breaking. That's cases true. That's and that's and the, because the frame does go around the outside of the motor. That's another point that's actually good, so that they do tend to be okay if you fall them over, mm-hmm. right? I felt just more like my Versys felt bigger. Yes. Than the 660. The Triumph 660 was, feels. Was, the seat was bigger. Tight. The, yeah. The bars were bigger. Just more comfortable for me. Yeah. So when we kind of look at, but I will say this: I probably would. The Africa Twin is still better. It's all that the big Africa Twin, yeah, because it's all a thousand cc motorcycle. Well, now they're yeah. eleven hundred, and I still argue that they have too many buttons. <laughs> well, mine doesn't. I don't have all those buttons. You don't have all those buttons. Uh, mine's smooth. It's oh, manual. Right. I don't yeah. got all the bullshit. Yeah, 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 it's pre the TFT that everybody's like, oh, <sighs> my TFT didn't turn on today. I'm like, ha I don't have to worry about that shit. So it's Versus more basic. Doesn't even have a gear in. I no. Yeah, no, no. I found that the Africa Twin, and I'm six one, and I'm over two hundred pounds. I found that the Africa Twin did feel tall. Yeah. So when I'm riding the Africa Twin, I do still give it the respect that I give when I'm riding tall bikes. It's know? weird though. After a while, like I, if you haven't ridden in a while, it yeah. feels like that. But once you're on it for a few hours, yeah, then you're kind of in it. And then Chris's you can get concourse little... was one of those motorcycles. I've had a bunch of concourses over the years. Concai, I guess. If you haven't been on one for a minute and you jump on one, you're like, oh, this is kind of up here, isn't it? It's not a great bike for super short riders. Well, also, yeah. but the foot pegs are on the concourse are high. Yeah, they are. 
Yeah. So your knees are up by your tits. Yeah. And yeah. like, you're kind of like, hey, how's it going? Yeah. yeah. But it is, it's one of those motorcycles that when you ride it, you're like. Yeah, so after six hours, <laughs> the fucking hips are killing me. Yeah. The, the area between your hips, your knees, and your feet is just not happy at all. Yeah. It's been compressed. It's been amputated. That's like my triumph is like that. My, uh, my Thunderbird. It, the pegs are kind of high. They're too high, yeah. And so when yeah. me and Dan went out to yeah. uh, the Rockabilly Ruckus, which was about two hours and a half from my house, yeah. by the time I got there, I was ready to get the fuck off You were done. <laughs> yeah, you were done. <laughs> yeah. And so John's sitting on the Tour Reg right now. This is, you know, the, the 660 adventure bike oh, from, from Aprilia. No, it's a really good bike. I, I, I've ridden it around. It's a, good, it's a great motorcycle. There's nothing wrong with it. Um, it's it's in that, slimming. It's in that, you know, 90 horsepower range, which they seem to all be, yeah. right? And so did you say there's an, is there a new SV? It, what's the, what's the yeah, deal with that? It's the, it, well, it's the SP or SP650. Well, it is the SV. Yeah. But it's no longer a V. It's a parallel twin. Okay. That's what I was asking. So they brought, yeah, they're bringing it out as a parallel twin. So it's an SV650, but they're calling it that. As all the guys online are calling it the S, but it is a 2023. Yeah, right. Yeah, and it is a V-Strom. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's uh, it's not a sport bike. No, it's it's a SV. It's like a you know, it's a naked bike. Yeah, okay. It's not. It's all not. Right. It's not a V-Strom. All right. All right. The TFT display is the same that all Piaggio products use. The the same screen. So if you look at the Vespa, it's got exactly the same screen. It's fucking hilarious. But yeah. They had, uh, so that's the V-Strom 650 XT Sport. Right. So that one. So that's in that classification. But oh, you, you said, know what? No, there's a new Dr. Yeah, yeah. No, there's the 800cc. The Dr. Big. Yeah, so the it DR, looks like the Dr. Yeah, Big. But right. If you go to Adventure Rider, they have it on the, the cover of that, but it's... It does. And I noticed that too. When you move it, you feel going There's some resistance. Yep. It might just not be set up right. No, I've I've had that same experience. It it does definitely. There's more stiction there in that suspension than I expected. Now the good news is when you're actually riding it, it's yeah, yeah. No, it's it's. I felt the same thing. I felt like there was a little resistance there to the thing. Um, anyway, oh that guy just that guy spent all the money on stickers like seriously so it's it is kind of a weird thing when you're thinking about this category i don't understand right now every manufacturer is putting everything into this like they are convinced that that 650 to 800 cc twin cylinder adventure styled bike they're convinced that's what we all want to go out and buy for the next i don't know three years right Right. Then yeah. Around to yeah. Else. Yeah, and I I don't know. So, what so yeah. I, so there's a V-Strom now. They're putting right. out the 800 DE. They're calling it a V-Strom, but it's a parallel twin. So everybody's calling it the P-Strom. That's what. All I right. Mean. So it's called an 800 DE. Yeah, V-Strom 800 DE. That's and fucking it's a beautiful weird. looking bike. It looks like the Doctor Big 100 percent yellow yeah. and blue. Yep. It's got the gold. I got rims. it up on the screen right now. Yeah. That's the point. That's the point. <laughs> that's like, yeah, and and that's exactly fucking right because it's not a V-Strom, so they said they called it an 800 DE, and I think you're right. Dr. Big is a, a very good 
a very good you know recollection. Bring it, and it has gold rims, so now that's official. Seven hundred and seventy-six cc DOHC parallel twin with four valve heads, two hundred and seventy degree crank. Yeah. Pretty standard stuff for the market, right? And that's that's absolutely true, yeah. right? So, and Yamaha has had their seven hundred cc parallel twin for now going on 10, 12 years. Yep. They, they, that guy was ripping it down at the barrel races at Mid-Ohio. That was yes, he was. That, that was a, a 10 or 10 rate. A 10 or a 700. <laughs> That's only two years out. Yep, yep. Um, this one's going to have 83 horsepower, 8,500 RPMs. Yeah. Uh, 57.5 foot-pounds of torque at 6,800 RPMs. And because it's a Suzuki, it'll still have a carburetor? And it nah, says that's marginally that. more <laughs> torque than the Honda Transalp. They don't have carburetors anymore. So this just has a nipple more torque than the Honda Transalp, which mm. is unveiled today as well. Yeah, so I thought it has less horse. The Suzuki has less horsepower than the Transalp. But the point being, gentlemen, are we going to buy these motorcycles? No. Okay, that's what I wanted to clarify. I, mean, I just I, wanted honestly, to make sure. I would probably buy the V-Star if I had a whole bunch of money laying around doing nothing. I've I ridden. Right, and that's the other thing. Well, and I like. I know, but it's pretty. I like the yellow. Okay, and blue. but but the that whole fucking insane. I mean, we don't buy new motorcycles. No, so we don't. Will we buy these motorcycles no. five or six years from now? Yeah, probably. Or would or, or can we acknowledge that these guys have created a market segment about ten years too late? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I just showed you a two thousand nine. <laughs> Well, you know, so this is interesting. So I was talking to a kid that I work with, right? And he's in the video department, and I think he's like 33-ish or something like mm-hmm. that. He's having a second kid with his wife. We were talking about bikes, and he asked me, he's like, well, I get your Z900, and I get that, but he goes, the Africa Twin is just, they're ugly bikes. Like, why? So, like, it's really weird that they're putting all this money into stuff, trying to get riders into it, but yeah. the 30-year-old people, they're they into don't want it. bikes. They think it's all old man fucking weird bikes. Oh, believe me. 30-year-old 30 custom, 30 customers that come to my shop do not want a sport bike. They absolutely do not want a sport bike. I was kind of surprised when I see people that are coming in and they're like, yeah, I'm 30 years old. What kind of bike do you want to ride? Like, do you want a crotch rocket? Do you want this? Do you want that? No, they're, they're definitely looking at stuff that is what, what anybody here would call traditional, like old standard stuff. Yeah. I And I know this is, they need to get that CB, that new CB three fifty to America. I agree. Exactly. Yeah, I agree. And yeah, but Honda keeps fucking it up. Did you see? I had a huge argument with like everybody today because like they like two people were like the new five hundred uh, CB five hundred Scrambler. Scrambler, yeah. That's basically a fucking rebel. Yep, it's a rebel. It looks like they. Yep. It looks like they took a gas tank off the Versys. Yep. Took the plastic off so it looks stupid, and then put it on that fucking frame. And like, if they do that, nobody wants that bike. I'm, nobody wants that. This bike. is what was a bad idea. You guys can see it. Oh, yeah, yeah. With the, the multi-strata, head. right? The multi-strata. And I'm not bringing it up because you know multi-stratas now are 1,200 cc's and whatever. Yeah, but remember now. when they came out, it was a monster. Oh yeah. I mean, when Multistrada came out, it was a monster. The fairing moved at the top with, with the an upright bars. riding position, right? <laughs> and I mean, yeah, cosmetically challenged, you bet your ass it was. But remember that the Multistrada, its marketing design was what a Versys is. It was designed to be, you can ride this back and forth to work every fucking day. If you got to jump over a curb or something, that's okay. That's great. We're not going to actually tell you that you're allowed to go off-road, but we're going to let you have the fantasy that you might be able to see a campsite up there and get to it. Right. Right. That's what the Multistrada did. 
the whole idea was that you, the Italians said with the Multistrada, you had four motorcycles in one. You had a sport bike, you had a touring bike, you had a street bike, and you had a, an off-road bike. And obviously we all know that it was only good for one of those things, right? You had a street bike. That's what it was. But remember, that's early 2000s. You know, that predates our verses. That predates a lot of stuff that came later. And it just proved that this thing, the idea of the Aprilia 660 Tour Reg, well, you know, the Multistrada 620 was two cylinders. It was a very light chassis. It was an upright riding position. Um, Both of the mufflers on the back actually did something. So you know, you know why, they weren't simulated. Yeah, you know why this 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 is popular to the 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 market. I don't. I'll tell you why. Yeah. When you sell a sport bike, yeah. When you sell a dirt bike, right? You sell a bike, maybe a helmet, yeah, maybe an exhaust. Oh, I get it. Now you got I a get bunch it. of fifty and sixty year old guys with expendable income because they finally have a job that they <sighs> like with a bunch of money. Now you sell them a bike that's kind of naked looking. What's Kevin's company that you work for called? throttle yeah that's the thing i mean like the amount of parts that you could buy from them right yeah so and and this and that bike sitting right there is a good example you can buy sw motec you can buy so many millions of parts crash bars you can have crash bars and then and then you know hey those 39 dollar um leds from ebay that that make 120 lumen those are stupid. You got to buy the eight hundred dollar Clearwater ones that make one hundred and twenty-two uh, lumen, and are are encased in a crystalline, crystalline uh, polished surface that avoids or repels mud. You know, the side by side industry isn't about buying the side by side. We learned that at Mid Ohio. It's not buying the side by side. It's making the side by side taller. It's making the side by side wider. It's making the side by side louder. Dude, there's some idiot at this table that has soft bags and hard bags for his bike. <laughs> you know how many times I've used a soft bag? You keep your soft bags in your hard bags? No, they're on the wall. They've, 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 they're artwork in my garage since okay. the day that I got them. So and that, I, and I went out of my way to find the fucking latch things, right? So that like the soft bags would latch onto my hard bag holders. Yeah. So, so I went that's out of my the way. deal. Yep. So it's not the market; it's the aftermarket. Yeah. Because ninety, they say ninety percent of adventure bikes are outfitted to go fucking around the world. Yeah, and most of them do less than ten thousand yeah. miles a year. Of course, I mean that's right. Well, Summit, uh, well, Summit has made an entire industry about doing what car shit. Yeah, car shit you don't need. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, right, it's right. funny. So we had a meeting right. today actually at work, and I found yeah. out now I Summit. <laughs> flowers. flowers yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I did find this interesting so like they they said that you know now because of the history and then also their support of grassroots racing and mm-hmm. stuff like that some it's been embraced in a lot of racers you know like like you know stickers are everywhere or whatever but they said when they first started to grow and they got big they were hated by most people because they were considered the walmart of power sport yes of absolutely and yep. then they had to prove and they had right. like they had to yeah. go and they made these partnerships with yeah. other you know some of these bigger like trick flow that they well, sure. eventually did. But yeah. like, so they, they basically got companies that they knew were solid race, like good parts for yeah. good product, for good thing. And then- Oh, so it's Cycle Gear. Everyone goes like, oh, I got these gloves at Cycle Gear. Well, this will be a great three hours. Okay, yeah. cool. I hope you got the receipt. You can return them in three hours when they fail, right. right? That's the thing is like, we joke, Cycle Gear is Harbor Freight for motorcycle stuff. Right. You know, it's what it is. You don't need it to last long, but you need it now. 
Right. Right. I just need them now. That's that's fine. I, I when bought and have to return some of my Harbor Freight stuff after I got the adapter and everything. <laughs> I bought the tire inflator. And I bought the radio. <laughs> And the Bluetooth radio sounded okay. Was it Bauer? Bauer, yeah. I, I always, every time I see the Bauer logo at Harbor Freight, I think of hockey equipment. Me yeah, too. Totally. <laughs> Is that the same company? No, it's okay. just a name. It sounded okay in the store, but then when I got it back to the shop and cranked it up to 15, I'm like, yeah, I have like, I, any any small Bluetooth rechargeable yeah. would be right. just as loud. Just it as loud. It wasn't worth yeah. the 40 bucks. I'm going to take it back. The inflator only didn't want to work. Like, it was, kept shutting off yeah. and... I'd have, it only would work all the time if I turned it upside down. What? Well, what does Dolly Parton sound like at 15? Uh, <laughs> I think I'm going to take that back. I think maybe that was just a bad one. I'm going to try to swap that out. Yeah, try to get try to get another one. It's just a, but my adapter uh, did work, so I could use Craftsman batteries on Harbor Freight shit. Nice. Uh, we talked not too many podcasts ago about the uh, Italjet Dragster scooter coming back, or at least how I, I'm going to will it to an, into existence because I am that way. And uh, they've decided at ICMA. ICMA's happening right now. So right now in northern Italy, a bunch of Italians are drooling <laughs> over a bunch of stuff that may not actually materialize. Um, that's what ICMA's good for. Someday I'm going to go. Haven't been there yet, but God damn it, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, but they have launched or at least they've, they have brought out an Intelligent Dragster 500. Wow. Yeah, and, I'm, and I have a problem now because I know this bike exists, and I don't give a shit if it is a fucking moped. Uh, Why are they I, calling it a 500? I don't know because it's got a 450cc engine. It, it really does? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. It doesn't look like it. it no, like it doesn't. Engine. No, it's got a big honking, you know, don't say it's a Rotax motor in it. Yeah. And chain drives. Oh. Yeah, exactly. They gave up the center hub steering because we know that was just to try and get sex from a smaller boys. Uh, yeah, it's real. And I don't know. I mean, it's real enough that it's at Eichmann, I guess. That's that's all I can say. Uh, I don't care. It's sexy and I want it. I don't give a shit. Uh, I don't care. To me, this is, oh, God, is it pretty. Uh, it looks like though, uh, unless you're five foot three, it's going to be very uncomfortable. You're right. So this is the 200 cc, right? So this has got the center. No, actually, I'm sorry. This is the electric one. I'm sorry. That's the electric. So it has the center hub steering. That's the electric version. So that's the electric version, right? This is the 500 GP. Yep. Yeah. I'm sorry. I, I'm fucking. Yeah. Sorry, guys. Don't want to waste your time. Sorry, I know it's Bill a scooter. Needs to be alone with Don't, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. I just need that. There's this bike is wrong on so many levels, but I don't care. I don't give a shit. 450 cc scooter. Yeah, bring it on. Chain drive. Put it on your Christmas list. Put it on my Christmas list. That's right. I'm gonna make some bad financial decisions on that thing. Uh, yeah. No, it's not going to be cheap. Make sure you ask your <laughs> wife first. And you know what? Like we were talking about how sensible. And that's funny to say that how sensible the Italjet Dragster 200 was going to be because it used the liquid cooled 200 motor that Aprilia has used for years and it works great. It's a workhorse and it has no problem going 80 miles an hour and how sensible that was. This is not fucking sensible. This is a bad idea. And a, I'm not even sure by looking at it, is it going to be an automatic? Because that's a dirt bike engine. That's a single cylinder, 450 cc liquid cooled 
dirt bike engine. And I don't think it necessarily means that's going to be an automatic. Not at all. I don't think that can be assumed. I just don't fucking know. And they said it's a concept, of course, but, you know, I, I don't care. I like it. I want to ride it. It is a rendering. <laughs> so it's hard to tell on a scooter because your rear brake would be your left lever, right? So if you're looking at the foot pegs, if you saw a foot peg on the left side, which it's hard to tell from these photographs, if there's a foot peg down on the left-hand side. Um, twist shift. Oh, John, don't tease me that way, man. Don't tease me that way. Yeah, but it would have to have six oh. gears. You'd be like, shh, 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 shh. don't care. Still cool. Would totally yeah. do it. I would rock the fuck. I'd be so happy if it was a trick. You know what? Nigel, looking at these pictures, looking at that picture, I think I see a brake lever. I think I see linkages. I can't get close enough to it. But I think I see linkages by your left foot, so I think that might be. Let's pull up their pet. <gasps> oh, I don't. I don't care. I want that. I want that to be a. I want that to be a brake lever right there. See where I'm pointing? I think that's a brake lever. So if that's a brake lever, is that the exhaust? That has to be a clutch like, down there. Right there. Yeah, that's the exhaust. I know. I know. Sorry, man. Sorry, guys. Hate to do it to you, but I fucking love the Italian Dragster, and I like the Italian dra Dragster 500 GP that much more. It's in, it's just in that fantasy land of shit that shouldn't exist. Yeah, yep. It's a GP, so they're going to race them. It'll be a whole league. They're bringing back Scoot. Again. <sighs> ah, why can't we find an Italian millionaire to throw money behind that idea? <laughs> Look, I'm just going to buy 200 of them. We'll have like a bespoke racing league. Sure, why not? Because they burn down. <laughs> the uh, like the E. They look. We're not gonna. Moto the e. only electric. The only electric I wanted to talk about was just the electric that's at Eichma. That is the Kimco. I don't know if you guys, if I sent you guys the notes. No longer interested in electric. No, I, I got to say it's hard to get excited about every. You know, I was like, oh, look at this new electric. Oh, look at this new. How many times am I going to try to work up my dance? You know, like, yep. oh boy, it's a new electric. Well, and that's going to be the story for the next 15 years is because every manufacturer and 50 manufacturers you've never heard of. Have you heard of this one? Have you heard of that? Right. This yeah. happening. Now, yeah. though, you know what excites me now, though, is like battery technology. When somebody says, we have a new battery, then I'm like, okay, now talk to me. I mean, that's what do you got? I just said. Yeah, that's the whole deal. Yeah. Honda was going to have one with a battery swapper. Yep. The uh, this the only reason I the only reason I like this bike is I pulled it up and it looks like a fucking wiffle ball. It is a three dimensional paint job. That's exactly right. Uh, they do make a couple of different versions of this motorcycle, uh, which is really funny. Where but those are pockets to store your different shoes. I have no idea what it is, but I can't. I want to touch it. I don't want to look oh, at it. My trypnophobia is freaking the fuck it out. It is, right? Get that out of me. <laughs> uh, no. It's called the Super Next. It's from Kimco. It makes no fucking sense at all. I have no, like, look, I have no idea why they built this bike this way. It makes no fucking sense. It really makes no sense. But it is tactile. It is made of hexag hexagons. It's just weird. I would think that that would be the minimum, right? It's just where hexagons go to die. Somebody was like, if you play the Settlers of Catan, you will be all over this thing because it's all about hexagons. But it's fucking bonkers, man. It is just bonkers. 
it, it breaks the idea of, well, what are you going to do to your motorcycle? Let's make it slippery. Okay, great. What are you going to do to your motorcycle? Let's paint it wild colors. Great. What are you going to do to your motorcycle? I'm going to put hexagonal holes in it. What? I'm going to put all the hex. I'm going to make it look like lattice. Y- y- really? Yeah, I'm going to do it. I'm going to make it look like what carbon fiber must look like under a microscope. There is no fucking reason why this has got to be like the right way to get the job done. It can't be. That's what I was thinking. Maybe there's something to be said for dimples on a golf ball, right? Because this thing, it makes golf balls go further, right? I mean, I think we all have to agree that that's not new technology. That's That's been happening for a long time. But in any case, in the case, the Super Next from Kimco, I don't care if it's powered by angry badgers. I don't care if it's got a gasoline 500cc motor in it. The idea, though, of having it made of, I don't know. Cheezosium. It looks like the inside of some running shoe. Yeah, <laughs> it's, yeah, it's alien shit. Looks like a lotus flower, which freaks me the fuck it's out, man. It's so I fucking weird, man. Oh. It's so weird. This, I, just, this just jumped into our atmosphere. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Or exactly, <clears throat> we just found these people that have been receiving our radio transmissions for the past 30 years, and they're from the planet Zorg, and they showed up riding these. Because yeah, the, by the time they got the pictures, they were pixelated. So when, they're, when their gelatinous fucking tubuloid fucking thing yeah. comes out of them fucking holes. Man, yes, I'm exactly. Do you know what's going to come out of those holes is a really big wasp. Oh, <laughs> a, really, a really angry big bee. A bee the size of a house cat's going to come gonna out of There's going to be a turgent fucking spike sticking out of that yeah. thing. Just yeah. fucking like... You're going to dare your friends to put their hands in the holes? Well, there's so many of these electric bikes coming out. To me, it seems so wrong that they canceled the uh, Zero TT. You'd think that would be, right. be really growing now. I'm, I thought it was brilliant, that. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. I, I totally agree. I absolutely <laughs> agree. And right now, when the field is so diverse, yeah. you got Kawasaki straight up broadcasting that they're going to have electric-powered motorcycles. Honda's had, for years, Mugen, like, Honda's had electric motorcycles for 10 fucking 15 years. Zero, zero, zeros are zero, right? Still trying to sell live wires. I mean, you see commercials. Oh, I would have to remind you that that picture you're looking at, that company, is the majority owner of Livewire. Kimco owns more of Livewire than anybody else does. So that might resonate. That might that that fact might be important in three or four years, I guess, to somebody who's sitting in a Kimco dealership right now. That could be weird. Uh, yeah. In front of the Harley uh, restaurant. <sighs> Boy, ain't that something, man? Yeah, ain't that something? So I, I mean, I do ride. This morning, I rode to work on the all fire breathing powerhouse that is the Buddy One Twenty Five Psycho Edition. Nice. On the freeway, fuck you guys, 70 miles an hour, tucked in, having a great time, listening to that Prima exhaust, wake up the neighborhood. Uh, I'm giving her all she's got, Captain, at 70 miles an hour indicated coming in the freeway this morning. And I had a customer come in on a 300cc Vespa and he was like, yeah, I just, uh, I'm just not really sure I can take it on the freeway. And I'm like, come over here, come over here. See this little thing right here? See this See this flat black pimple on somebody's ass? I rode that on the freeway this morning. What? Yeah, 10-inch wheels and everything. Oh, my God, that's crazy. Yeah, I know. Do it all the time. That's great. Go out and grow a pair. You'll be fine. So, yeah, it's, it's 
it's that's it. Riding season's over, as far as I'm concerned. I saw Dick Gard- Goddard's uh, turning in his grave, and snow cones were coming out. Oh yeah, yeah, we're it's, done. It's this is it. Tomorrow. Today was the game. Today was, was the last hurrah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for people who rode motorcycles today, I, everybody out there was yeah. Everybody out there today was like, oh, they were just like grudge fucking the air. Everybody riding today was just getting their last run in. That's because the news has been like, this weekend, the world ends. Like, seriously, like, who's a Holly Strano or something was on there like, get all your fun in because Saturday is going to be the world's worst day in the history. Really? Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. It's the highest 31 and like... <laughs> she is. I lived on her street in Cuyahoga Falls or Chagrin Falls. Oh, my God. Her husband, her husband, Kevin, was the nicest guy. And she treated him like a piece of dirt, man. Oh, like my. Poor fucking guy. Now, wait a second. We're not the only ones listening to this. Remember, this is going yeah, out yeah. there. Holly oh, Strano sure. does not listen to fucking the Cleveland <laughs> Moto podcast. How about this? My other neighbor, I lived on this street. Like, I moved in. We sat there. My neighbor was Sarah Now, Carnes. don't be so sure. We have tens of listeners. That's true. <laughs> but my, but I know those two people don't. But So here's the thing. Sarah Carnes, who was the, the TV personality. You keep dropping both names. I'm telling you, that's bold. <laughs> Um, I, I don't care. I'm glad you're doing that on the, here on the Motorcycles and Misfits podcast. Yeah, right. But no, but so like, but it was really weird because she lived next to me and she was super nice and her yeah. husband was super cool. Right. And then down the street was Holly Strano and her husband, who was a stay-at-home dad. Okay, yeah. All right. Yeah. But then she banged a 21-year-old bartender and left him for him, and then he dumped her a week later. It oh, was great. Okay, all so right. I remember. I was hanging out with her husband, and he was like all sad. And then the next week, he's like bringing beers down the street, like, "Hey, dumped her." <laughs> Game on. <laughs> but the best part was in public on TV. She went from Holly Strano, yeah, to Holly Strano Greco, to Holly Greco, yeah. and then back to Holly Strano, all within a, like a year. Hey, if you're on TV, hey, yeah. roll with it, baby. Roll with it. Nobody. Well, I not lived on the street. That's right. why I fucking paid attention. Her husband goddamn. was telling me all about what? it. Man. He delivered her paper. So are they going to put salt down this weekend? Nah. Saturday, nah. yeah. I, if it snows, nah. it's supposed to snow. They will. Yeah. I, yeah. I think if it snows, yeah. they will. We'll see what well, happens. Out where he lives. They'll yeah. Down. Right. Yeah, I don't think around here they're going to put down it's, any salt. We'll see. Gonna and that's what's funny is you can tell we're fucking degenerate motorheads because we don't give a fuck about snow. We no. care about the salt. The salt, Absolutely. right. It's the salt you got to fucking watch out for. It's right. not the snow. The snow means nothing. I've got five gallons of fluid film right now. I've got a standing order for you to get some more. Yeah. Right? I've got some fluid film on double secret reserve at the house right now in case this fluid film didn't show up. Right. And so, like, I'm thinking, like, next week maybe is going to be our fluid film party. Oh, yeah. And I've got vehicles that I know are like, if it snows, if they salt, there are one or two vehicles in my arsenal that I will drive because they were fluid filmed last year. Right. So I can get away with it. But you got a truck that you got a fluid film. Yeah. Because I've, it's I've, a fucking Dodge. Yeah. Well, I already scraped most of the cancer off. So yeah. if I don't like get some prophylactic on there, yeah. it's going to cancer no, up again man. real quick. Look, so. Dodge, yeah. no salt. <laughs> right. Yeah. Toyota, no salt. Right. There's, there's rules. Yeah. Right? They literally dissolve. If you own a Dodge and a Dodge is like, if you're eating French fries, be mindful of the salt if you drive a Dodge. Like if yeah. you go to take my Dodge down to Athens, I'm going to Athens to see my daughter this yeah. weekend. I thought it'd be a great run to take the Dodge, but if they're going to put any salt down, it's not going anywhere. Near exactly. <laughs> I just—it's funny. Like if you look up frame repair, it'll be like 
Model A frame repair. Right. And then it'll be like, you know, like 1954 uh, Chevy frame repair. Right. And then it's like, it jumps to Dodge 2010 <laughs> Dodge Ram frame Dodge repair. Dodge Ram frame panels. repair. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. Not <laughs> since the Toyota. Uh, on, the adver- on the advertising page for f- not fluid film, but I think the PB Blaster one, the, yeah, the yeah, Simple Sheen oh, or whatever yeah, they yeah. call that crap, whatever it is. But on their website, they literally show a Toyota Tacoma in the A-frame pose right. with the frame totally broken. And I'm like, been there, yeah. done that. <laughs> now, do you want, I forgot to ask you. Yeah. I think it's about the no, same No, no, I don't want the black. Okay. Okay, so I have talked to people who shoot fluid film and I had a customer come in and you know, we, we, we can tell each other by the smell, right? <laughs> and so this dude comes in, I was like, you smell like fluid film. And the guy's like, oh, shut up. And I was like, no, no, you smell like fluid film. He goes, I just got done. And I, I said, when you shoot, do you shoot the regular natural fluid film or do you shoot the black? And he goes, his wife is like, oh no, he shoots the black fluid film. Cause he's like, cause you know, I like the way the back of the truck looks, the pumpkin looks all black and shiny and everything else. And I'm like, I just have to know, does it make a fucking mess? And he goes, oh, it makes a terrible mess. Because uh, fluid film, no matter how tidy you keep your garage, when we shoot at my house, I hang tarps everywhere so none of my tools get fluid filmy. Yeah. Not that it would hurt them. It's just lanolin. But it's just everything's slippery, right? You grab a wrench and it slides out of your fucking hand. I garbage pick carpet six months before the event so I can put down garbage picked carpet in my garage because if the fluid film hits my nice concrete in my garage, it turns into a fucking ice rink, right? You'll kill yourself trying to get across my garage. My lifts have no choice. The lift is covered in fluid film. Like if you try to lean against my lift, don't. You'll fall on your fucking ass. So the fluid film in my garage has 10 years of vehicles being fluid filmed in it. So there's many things in my garage that will outlast the planet because fluid film. And I have clothes that I only wear for fluid filming. I have shoes that I only wear for fluid filming. If that shit were black and it was somebody paid money to put black dye into it. One, that's the ultimate sign of vanity because, (laughs) oh, I don't, I want my fluid film to be black. Fuck you. I would use that shit. If it was purple, I don't care. It's there to keep the rust away. It is not there to smell good because it doesn't. I guess the blaster version has a cedar scent added to it. Yeah. Well, that's what, you know, blaster, they add their, they have a scent to blaster. No, yeah, it's not just the chemicals. They actually... They, oh, I thought PB Blaster smelled like PB Blaster because that's what PB Blaster smelled no, like. No, they wanted to differentiate themselves because I did work for them. So they added the a scent that's to it? That's an added scent. I just thought it and was the, the same smell their, of melting styrofoam cups. The, the same with their um, multi-purpose lubricant has vanilla. If you ever smell the thing, it's... Get van- the fuck out of uh-uh. here. Uh-uh. Oh, my God, I'm shocked. Yeah. Yeah, well, anyway, so at some point this week, we're going to be doing a... a fluid film party oh yeah so yeah oh my god that's something hey you know what what does the cleveland moto podcast and the movie titanic have in common i know the running time the running time hey we're, <laughs> we're there. at two hours and 41 right. minutes well we skipped one last week so <laughs> yeah that's it so we gotta double down on it all right man so that's it john's gonna play us out here finally Bum <laughs> 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 <laughs>